Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore. Previously on the Resident Evil podcast. There's obviously horror, there's some action, there's some cheese to the dialogue and cheese to the events. Mendez, apart from that one cutscene where he threatens to kill Leon, he's not in it again until he turns up as a boss. You know, I think the cast will be, you know, very much more fleshed out and they'll all have a lot more characterization to them this time around. I mean, the animation work is top tier. Like I say, they're just so good at this now, Capcom. They, they can just do this stuff in their sleep, it feels. Astonishing production values these days. Circle as Crouch put me well off my game, um, so we had to spend a while flicking through the options. You get a prompt that comes up! Bienvenidos al episodio 86 del podcast de Resident Evil. Celebrando el lanzamiento de Biohazard 4 y al equal que de Propel Espanol todo es Scorchio. I'm Nick Bennett, known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. While everyone is looking for Ashley, he's looking for Amber. It's the Batman. Hello. Now a sympathetic soul with a hat. It stars Tyrant. Hello. Infecting everyone with that black liquid. It's Rombie. Hello. And no more moving statues, not under his watch. It's George Trevor. Good evening. Wow, Nick, your Welsh has improved. That was fantastic. Thank you. And apologies to all our native Spanish speakers. That was my attempt at a Spanish introduction for everyone. <laughs> Coming up on today's podcast, of course, we are reviewing Capcom's latest masterpiece, at least according to IGN, Resident Evil 4 Remake. Yes, I know people have been looking forward to hearing our views. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the game. There's no news. There's no news. We're just going straight into it. Tell me, Yankee, why did you come to this horrible place? As close to nowhere that I've ever seen. I should say, looking for someone. That someone must be very important, then. The chief gave the orders himself. Help him, he said. I'm sure you boys didn't come all the way out here to roast marshmallows. <laughs> Maybe you did. You have a strange sense of humor. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret, just between us. A lot of people have gone missing around here, and it's been that way for a while now. Well then, should be just another day in the office, right? Mm. I mean, last week there was a search for some missing hikers. I'm sure you'll do your best to help me. <laughs> Resident Evil 4, the remake to end all remakes. When Capcom say we do it, they bloody well do it. After the critical and commercial success of Remake 2 and 3, many had assumed that the Code Veronica remake would be next, and arguably there is some genuine justification for such an endeavour. Bringing a 32-bit fixed camera angle into the 3D era, adjusting classic locales into 4K beauty. 
But was there ever a clamouring for a remake of 4? A game that can still be played on the current generation of consoles. A game that, for all intent purposes, is the jewel in the Resident Evil crown. A game universally beloved by the gaming industry, and equally within the Resident Evil fandom too. Could Capcom strike gold again? And what undoubtedly would be the riskiest remake to date? We've played it. We've completed it. Bar George Trevor. We've drank some black liquid, so let's get infected. Oh, so as always with our review podcast, we're starting with brief impressions from the team. I'm going to pause on mine. I think we start with Batman on this one. The catalyst, I think, for this, of course, with the law implications that we've spoken in before about what could possibly go wrong, what could possibly go right with this. So, Batman, John, what do you think? What's your brief impressions of Remake 4? Where do you sit? Well, in a nutshell, I thought the game was exceptional. I really enjoyed pretty much everything about it. Uh, I think it had the right balance of remaining faithful to the original whilst switching things up to make it new and fresh. Um, It addressed pretty much all the concerns I laid out in our preview podcast, and I just had a a joyous time with it. Although the law was changed to a certain extent, I really did appreciate the new details they added and, you know, the new backstories provided for the Los Illuminados, the Salazar family, and Luis. I thought the new iterations of the characters, for the most part worked well and the enemies you know like the regenerators were just as fearsome as they were in the original game there are of course elements that are preferred in the original game and some unnecessary changes i find downright puzzling which seems to be a fixture of these remakes but overall i thought remake 4 was superb it's a quality quality product Hmm. Rombie, what about you I think I went in with the most indifference I think I've been for a remake and for the game. And so it's a bit of an odd one because the demo I'd been like, okay, yeah, it plays good. Like, I don't think I could question that any further, but I still was just like, does this really need a remake? Does this improve on the original? And will I enjoy it? I mean, I think from a fundamental game concept, I couldn't complain i think from a gameplay and and having fun and and i've played through it a couple of times now and i'm i'm like yeah it's a great game from a gameplay perspective do i think it's a game that necessarily entirely needed a remake still on the fence on that one i, I still don't really know and um i think maybe this discussion we're having today might be the thing that helps me decide whether or not i think it is or not but i think the improvements are definitely improvements the things that i've cut they're not necessarily important things, but I'm still at a bit of a quandary on whether or not it was necessary. I, I still feel, in a lot of ways, a new game in the style, much like I said about Remake 2, would be an enjoyable experience with new surprises and, and not too many revisits. Yeah, I think that's how I feel. Interesting. Interesting. Now, George, we need to caveat. You haven't quite completed it, but what's your what's your initial impressions where are you up to? What's been your preliminary assessment of this experience so far? Yeah, can I just caveat myself back at you that I, <laughs> I am almost 20 hours in? Yes. <laughs> I'm up to chapter eight. And much like Rombie, I came to this game probably the lowest I've ever been with this series. My God, my experience with this game, it's like Robin Williams in, in the film A Hook. Just this old, embittered, cynical old man watching from the sidelines. You're all having fun with the demo. Unlike Peter Pan, I can fly again. My God, this game has reminded me how much fun and why I love the series so much uh, when 4 came out originally. So many of the combat sequences are just so fantastic. The way the Ganados interact with the environment around them and and the way that they interact with each other and, and the other enemies. I've had some 
of the most monumental, memorable combat sequences and experiences that I can remember in, in any combat-focused game. It's absolutely fantastic. I would have liked it to have been a little scarier. I mean, the only jump scare so far for me was when that tower exploded and uh, I jumped out my skin. But I mean, I'm George Trevor. I'm, you know, I'm going to get a bit emotional about buildings crumbling down. <laughs> but like Batman says, it does have that right combination. I say it, I would have liked to have been sort of scarier, but it is very sinister and very dark and gothic. Uh, but at the same time, there are kind of lighter moments as well. Let's say some more camper moments. And yeah, absolutely fantastic. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of it later on. But it really does smack of some very intelligent game design. It really does feel like a lot of thought was put into it. I do have some misgivings and, and we'll, we'll mention them during the podcast. But very much like Resident Evil Zero, you know, the little kind of minor slip ups I can forgive because there is just so much to enjoy and to find and to experience in the game. I absolutely hated it. I thought this was atrocious, but it was not an enjoyable experience for me in the outset. I have been on an emotional roller coaster with this movie. It feels like a movie at times, you know, a three act film. And I nearly gave up the ghost so many times in this. Um, I was playing on standard mode, which for anyone knows how I play it, that's a challenge. And this is a really, really hard game for me. So I just didn't enjoy so much of the beginning. And I, I was shouting and squaring. I just didn't like it. And I'll, I'll explain why. And then I don't know what it was. And I still don't really know what it was. And a bit like Rob, I think it's going to be quite useful to kind of try and pinpoint and see if I can draw out. But from the castle onwards, something clicked and I got to a point of only wanting to play this game so I can do the podcast to I want to play this game now. I need to carry on. And I got upset that the chapter ended because I was like, oh, I've got to go to bed now or something like that. I just wanted to play it. I don't know if it's just the way I did it, which was extremely haphazard and playing on a difficulty level that was probably beyond my skill set. The castle and amazingly the island, which I despise in the original game, I thought was amazing. And I've been so confused with this game that it's, it's a love-hate. But by the end, it was proper fist-pump moment when... I killed Sadler. I was exhausted emotionally, physically. And yeah, as I said, I've been through the emotional wrecker with this game and I'm delighted to be able to talk about it because I've got quite a lot to say about what I didn't like. And there's lots I didn't like, but there's a lot that I did like and it's just quite an interesting thought process that I've gone through. So yeah, it's been quite an adventure. Finally, Star Starring, what's your brief take on Remake 4? Well, those of you on the team looking for guidance or help to make your decision allow me to... Uh... Throw a spanner in those works right there. I'm going to get this out of the way straight away because I'm not going to spend the entire episode endlessly comparing the two. So I'm just going to get it out there now. I prefer the original still. There we go. I've said it. <laughs> That's not to take anything away at all from this title. This title as a product is downright exceptional. It's a very, very well-realized, well-told story of a classic milestone in not just the Resident Evil series, but you know the entire video gaming landscape as a whole. It's important, and for Capcom to have the bravery to even attempt to try and recreate what made that original experience magical was, was bold and, like I say, brave. Have they pulled it off? They've not reached that critical milestone um, this time. I think we've said in previous episodes that all this game could ever hope to achieve is just be really good and sort of live up to the original. And it has done that very, very commendably. Does it 
beat the original for me. No, it doesn't. And there are specific reasons why, and we'll crunch them down as we get through. But I'm not going to spend the entire episode going, oh, I just wish this did like this, the original is. Because I don't want to distract from anything to do with the quality of this game, which is brilliant. You know, you're looking at Game of the Year material. It's that easy. This is a Capcom now that have taken everything they've learned from the last few games, even, you know, even as far back really as Revelations 2, because there's a lot of Revelations 2 in this, and they've just refined it and honed it to the level where this is just, like I say, it's just effortlessly good video gaming. So yeah, it's going to be a positive one from even the likes of me, this one. With obviously the caveat, it's a big word that we've used quite a lot already, that the original is still my Resident Evil 4 because I'm very fortunate in that I have a dial in my head that automatically turns the clock back. And I know everyone's going to go, oh, that's just nostalgia speaking. It absolutely is, but I can't ignore that impulse that I have hardwired in me. And that's why I do struggle to overcome it when it comes to like remakes and things like that. But not taking away anything. This game is brilliant. It's really, really fucking good. Thank you. I think that's a perfect segue into our kind of first topic that I wanted to talk about was the general gameplay. We obviously had that kind of teaser with the demo, Chainsaw Demo, which once again replicated the perfect opening level, I like to call it, in Resident Evil. You mentioned about the original, and I think that's important as well, because there is that degree of expectation, perhaps, with this game. And I said in the introduction, will Capcom strike twice? I think you're right. I, I don't think they ever could in that way, just because Resident Evil 4 not only soft rebooted the Resident Evil series and changed that series, it changed the entire gaming landscape. You know, the effects of Resident Evil 4 original are still felt today because of the decisions Akami and his team took, you know, back in the day. So Capcom knew they couldn't do that. Um, they weren't reinventing the wheel. They were just tweaking and modifying the RE engine to the best of its ability so far. So as you say, Sean, it was um, you know a big undertaking, very risky. And I think on the whole, they pulled it off. I had some issues with the controls, I had to switch them around a little bit, but that's fine. There's plenty of options to do so. But gameplay wise, would people agree this is the perfection of the RE engine control setup, that kind of, you know, the stick movement rather than perhaps the old MT framework setup and what we had before with the action trilogy? It's a bit more floaty. I think those expecting the sort of responsive snappiness of the you know even the original Resident Evil 4 is not in this like Leon has for the first time really in this series like a feeling of like momentum and inertia so when you like try and take change direction there's like heaviness and a weight to it which wasn't there in the original more video gamey experiences but in terms of like the gameplay loop with regards to the combat I mean yeah I mean yeah it's exceptional I think whether you prefer the parry mechanic or the dodge mechanic from Resident Evil 3, you're getting gourmet games here. There's a lot to digest and enjoy. He's a bit slow though, Leon, isn't he? Batman, you mentioned this because you played a lot of the original game in preparation for Remake 4. You commented last time, you noted that the difference was quite obvious. Yeah, it felt very, very sluggish compared to the original. And even more so today, I just downloaded Mercenaries and I thought I'll have a quick five-minute blast on it. And it just felt so slow and so unresponsive, you know, clearly just because I'm used to the fast pace of the original. So that was a concern I had about the game going in, but obviously the more you play it, the more you get used to it, and especially, you know, when you upgrade your weapons and you have quicker reload times and things like that, it didn't turn out to be an issue in the end. I think it's testament to the game design and the action sequences and how fantastic they are, particularly in, in, in relation to how the enemies respond and react to the environment around them, the flames and how they, you know, can scupper themselves on, on their own weaponry and psycho chainsaw baghead men stepping on a bear trap when he's coming for me was a, was a 
great moment. Yeah, you're right, Batman. You do get used to it because that was what put me off from this game at the beginning. It was like running through treacle sometimes when Leon's running across the bridge as you leave the village. Thankfully, that's probably the worst it actually gets. But it is exceptional, Stars is right, in terms of the actual the use of weaponry and the way that you use it in the game. And, and it's so satisfying using the sniper rifle. And it is so responsive in terms of the distance with which you can get headshots and things. Yeah, that is fantastic. But in terms of the actual movement, it is like, you know, you're turning Leon around. It's like turning a coach. It is very, very slow. Unless I'm missing something, why can't we have a quick turn? Like, you know, like the Resident Evil 3 quick turn. And particularly for people like me and, and anyone listening that suffers from motion sickness will, will have this as well. I have to really slow down both the camera and, you know, the rotational movement. So Leon moves even slower, you know, for gamers like me. So I don't know why that can't, you know, that can't be tweaked. But, but again, I want to reiterate that there's so much enjoyable about this game in terms of the game design and the experience. Uh, I want to quickly ask as well. I mean, yes, of course, the textures are far more designed in this game than they are in Revelations 2. But between playing this game, I quickly jumped over to Revelations 2. And my God, that game was so smooth in comparison. Of course, you're getting higher frame rate because, yeah, the textures are more basic in, in Revelations 2. But yeah, I would like to see something done to, um, it is very clunky and I'd like to see that improved. And also, please, can we get field of view so that we can move the camera even further away from Leon? That that would be ideal. There is field of view and quick turn. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the field of view, you can alter it a bit. I'd like it to be altered even more so that you can almost bring it so far back that you can see right uh, down to Leon's shoes. On the PC version, there are people being out modding the field of view anywhere. I'll, I'll keep so, that out. Cool. And there is a quick turn already in the game. Oh, there is? Oh, mm -hmm. okay, thank you. I thought I might be missing something. <laughs> Don't worry, I completed the game without it. I did not use that mechanic, which will be a surprise to nobody. Next <laughs> mode strikes again. Yeah, GT's is following in your footsteps. But you did parry some stuff, so that's good. Well, only when I had to. I, I don't understand use... how you could do it only when you had to. It's like a really easy mechanic, Nick. It really is. I never got any prompts. I never had prompts, ever, to do you it. You don't have to have prompts to do it. And there are prompts. <laughs> There are certain enemies and certain bosses that definitely give you prompts. This is interesting because I change it to control scheme A2, I think it is, so that um, crouch is the same as it is in village, and 7, you know, so it's the R3 button. And what Which, was knife switch to? Um, left one. Yeah, left one, yeah, but the only time I had prompts was during boss fights, like playing Vertigo. You get prompts if certain enemies come close. Like if you had, say, the chainsaw enemies came close, there's a prompt. Certain enemy types when yeah. you're a close will have prompts. But yeah, for the rest of it, it's no prompt. You, but it's pretty easy. And especially, if I was on the same difficulty as you the first time I played it. And you can, quite often, the, the window for holding it is a lot longer. It gets tighter and it's noticeable the higher the difficulty to the point where I think on like the top two difficulties, you have to time it. Whereas, yeah, you can hold it about maybe a second or two before an enemy hits you or an object hits you and you'll easily, he'll still parry it. So it's very so wide. I just find there's a lot going on for me to remember to press L1. It's very intense, this game, in your face. But as, as I said, when you start getting the prompts for like Vertigo, you know, ducking and things like that and um, Krauser. I had to change the control scheme back because pressing R3 to do dodging and evade moves that wasn't happening and so that to go back so circle was the evade so a couple of tweaks during the game for me to make it a bit more player friendly I, I just didn't like circle as crouch I found that odd so <laughs> But I, I agree with what, what's been said. I think the mechanics generally work very well. And I do think it's a, um, you know, the RE engine's working working overtime. And it's absolutely gorgeous in terms of the graphics. The level of detail is, is exceptional. The loading times are lightning fast as well. I didn't notice any lag 
or frame drops, but I'm not that attuned to it. I'm sure Sean is a bit more attuned to uh, frame rate issues than I am. What did everyone think about the uh, the kind of shortcut, the directional pad shortcuts? Because obviously we've had that in the game for a while. It, having two, you know, options go up, you know, so you can press up twice, for example, to have two lots of weapons. Did anyone find that a bit of a bit of a chore having two and flicking through? Was that just me again being? Oh. If you've played The Last of Us, that's, that's not a new system at all. Now is it okay? Right? It's definitely unique because I think that's one of the biggest improvements of this game is not having to go into a menu to change the weapon every time. There have been other Resident Evil titles with a quick weapon change, which is not entirely yeah, it's new the, for the franchise either. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, five. Obviously, you had it assigned to up down. If we want to say we've taken this from Last of Us, technically, Last of Us took this from Resident Evil Five and expanded yeah. upon it. So I just found myself sometimes a lot of the time I was I was over pressing it and things like that. And it is easy to do that. I will agree with that, Nick. So I want to see a stream where Nick plays Elite. It's <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen. <laughs> but only using the keyboard as well. <laughs> no, no. It took a bit of getting used to, especially when you started to get that those more the more weapons. And I, I tended to try and keep like all the grenades on the one side, and you know that's what I did. I I put all my handguns to the top, my shotgun and rifle to the bottom, and then grenades to the left and right, mm. or just to one direction. So I always knew which was in what direction, and I didn't have to worry too much about selecting the wrong weapon. So we'll talk about the weapons. Then there's a vast array of got uh, the the upgrade system. Probably the new mechanic was the knife breakability, which I thought was utter nonsense. I did not enjoy the knife being broken. In fact, I got rid of it. Well, I've just sent it to storage uh, after it broke the first time. You pick up enough knives throughout the adventure, um, and it's only when I got to Krauser did I did I thought oh, I better use it just to just to help me along. You're right. You pick up enough knives during the game for it not to be an issue. And and the bear traps for me, you know, oh, other than my that, God. other than that one time when Chainsaw Baghead man, yeah, he stepped in one that saved me from getting disemboweled by his chainsaw. But it, it was the only point in the game where things were frustrating because the thing that was so enjoyable about this game is often I would die, I just jump straight back in again. You know, it was even more enjoyable, and it makes you want to kind of improve at this game, and, and it just makes it so much more satisfying. Because for me, my aiming is appalling, and just to improve my aiming and, and to get that satisfaction was great. Yeah, I think I stepped in about thirty bear traps by the end of the game. I, I think I stepped in absolutely every single one of them. They're cleverly placed, they're strategically placed, aren't they? Sometimes, like mm. I think in the Krauser fight, you're going, "Oh, I need to, you know, scoot round there just to get to shoot the the laser." Boom! I was like, "Oh, you jeez!" <laughs> they set you up very well on that one. I think I felt mm. that the first time too. What do you think of the guns, the general weaponry upgrade systems? You could compare it to Village a bit, which had the same sort of idea. Do you think it's worked better or all the same? To me, personally, it felt the same as the original RE4. It's very straightforward, right down to the exclusive upgrade thing. It didn't feel drastically different. The weapons of choice as you went through? Me, I stuck with the default handgun at first, the knife I upgraded, and then the TMP and the riot gun. Oh, and the rifle, for obvious reasons. And um, what about you? Uh, did you find the general kind of weapon upgrade system and, you know, the, that kind of mechanic side of things? Yeah, I mean, like Rob said, it's pretty identical to the original. But I must say, I'm a bit like you, Nick. I'm a bit old school. I can't be arsed with crafting and upgrading, and it just unnecessarily complicates things for me. But, you know, RE4 has kept it relatively simple, and I think the same can be said for the treasure upgrading. I think the treasure upgrading was much improved on this. You know, I like the way mm. you could get a certain treasure and you could pick 
which jewels you wanted to put in there to increase its value for selling it. Um, I thought that was a marked improvement over the original. But in terms of guns, again, I kept my loadout pretty much the same as what I would do on the original. I like the Blacktail handgun, the TMP with stock, the assault shotgun, and the sniper rifle. I know there's an abundance of guns in this game, but a majority of them I don't particularly bother with. Mm. It's interesting. I did the same. I went for the, the old Faithful Red Nine. That worked for me. But otherwise, yeah, right gun, TMP, sniper rifle. That's strange. Stars, was that your readout? Did you go for anything different? No, I mean, uh, just to get it out of the way, I played on hardcore and had a woeful you time did. through a good, <laughs> a good first half of the game, up until pretty much the peak, which was the double Garador room in the castle, which nearly ended my existence. Similar to the way you described it, Nick, I just wasn't having fun to the point where the difficulty started to derail my experience, and I, I'd regretted so much playing on hardcore, but I persevered, and I carried on, and I went back to the merchant and just had a big think about you know how my inventory was and where I was potentially going wrong so what I decided to do was I stuck with the um, silver ghost all the way through the game got the EX upgrade which was a game changer for my playthrough because once that thing starts doing like times five crits damage and things that you know and uh, I reluctantly gave up the riot gun and replaced it with the striker because I just needed something to be able to just punch holes through things very quickly and move and I reluctantly as well got rid of the bolt-action sniper rifle, which I've always kept in the original and never bothered with the semi-auto, just because, I, again, I needed that speed and manoeuvrability. That that um, that reloading animation at times on the bolt-action will get you killed in so many encounters because you just have to wait for Leon to finish. Uh, and then I got the Killer 7, which now has an exclusive upgrade that it didn't have in the original. Got that EX upgraded, and once those four mainstay weapons are in place, so the Silver Ghost, the Striker the um, semi-auto rifle and the Killer 7, the rest of the game wasn't actually too bad, it must be said. The Killer 7 is a bit powerful with its new exclusive upgrade. Yes, no, I, I shared a similar experience, albeit on the difficulty before, up to the, the Garador room, my gosh. Uh, far, too, far too many deaths on that. Rooster Condor 1, I've got that intel you requested on Louis Sarah. It seems he used to be a researcher for Umbrella. Umbrella? I should have left him in that bag to rot. <laughs> I'm sending you the details. Take a look, but Baby Eagle is your priority. Copy that. Making my way to the church. Condor 1, out. Okay, um, I think before we kind of talk about some of the characters, I wanted to talk about the locations. It's a good time, to, I think, to talk about our experiences generally in the in the village and what everyone thought of the, the, the reimagined village. I say reimagined village. It is extremely faithful as kind of Batman alluded to in his kind of introduction about about the game apart from perhaps like the hunter's lodge the chief's house has changed a little bit the canyon looked a little bit different apart from that it's pretty much one-to-one it's all sort of centered around the lake the biggest change is when you're running down the side of the church the lake is no longer on your right hand side it's just a valley the lake's situated a bit further down um mm. But there's certain other bits that have switched around, like when you get captured and you wake up in the factory, the valley that you fight through in the original is now off to the right-hand side. You know, little differences like that. What I really appreciated about this game was certain areas that seem to have got rid of completely, and then all of a sudden you'll enter a room that's identical to the original, but it's been remixed. It's in, like, a different area. Mm, and uh, Coming at it from a different direction or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought that was a big strength of this game. 
the village was actually not radically different, but you know, noticeably different in a lot of areas. And obviously, the castle, which I'm sure we'll get onto later, was a massive improvement for me. It was, it actually felt like a real location this time around. And even the island, you know, even though it was streamlined a bit compared to the original, I was very worried that they were just going to do a remake two and, and make like a nest three where it was just going to be completely unrecognizable from the original so i was really happy to see that the island you know retained the aesthetic of the original i thought the locations overall were absolutely spot on i can't think of a single area i was really disappointed with no and i think with the island especially it looked more i'll say appropriate but it felt more believable in terms of mm. like the labs and things like that the connectivity between the labs and i remember like at the end you've got lewis's lab i thought why is it over there it makes no sense but it, it doesn't if you you know and the environmental storytelling has gone up a hundred percent in this game mm. and i think but it, like, it does make sense like lewis was working on all the microscopic elements of the plug that was his little speciality if you like whereas then you've got the big labs with the regenerators they were doing all the slicing and the dicing I, I know i'm jumping ahead but you know there seemed to be a bit more of a flow yeah. about the island especially it seemed to work a bit better i thought uh, what they've managed to do sort of expertly is any areas where you could say it was artificially padded a little bit in the original have been very cleverly and streamlined and condensed. I mean, we've often said that Chapter 4 in the original game is the problematic one, and that's the one where you just rescued Ashley after her section. You've got fire-breathing dragons in the castle. There's lava, big lava chambers. There's the minecart, you know, and it culminates in a giant stone Salazar chasing you and then, a you know, a battle up a elevator that stops working when too many people are on it well they've expertly condensed like that entire chapter into a very streamlined sort of hour of gameplay now and i know gt this is jumping ahead a bit for you but like the statue the fire breathing and the elevator are all one set piece now and it's really cleverly done so all those elements are still there in their own way but very cleverly remixed in a way that feels faithful to this game it's really really well done the only thing is you just sort of look back at two and three and just think, God, I wish it had that kind of care in places, certainly in three's point of view. It's interesting because I actually enjoyed it more than obviously three, but even more so than two as well, because I just thought the pacing was so expertly done in the sense that you had these fantastic kind of battle sequences, you know, very specific to particular locations, you know, very reminiscent and almost sometimes, you know, scene by scene, identical to the original. But the exploratory moments in between those sections, you know, are nicely paced up as well. So kind of the tension starts to build and build and build. And then when you have these, and that's why they were so enjoyable, these really heavy, tense, very immersive battle sequences, then you can just take a breather at the end of them and do a bit of exploring. And and, and then you've got your meetings with the merchant, who I think is, I love I think this kind of almost sums up this game kind of it personifies how it's so great because it's so similar to the original The Merchant. It kind of sounds like the original kind of remixed a bit with Andy Serkis. Um <laughs> so so like kind of you know, it's it's kind of like a slight sort of swerve on the original that I think's just done perfectly well. But um for me, the village, I had I had my first fantastic moment that really opened it up to me. You know, Star said, I think on the previous podcast, we don't need this remake, but now that we've got it, let's try, you know, try and enjoy it, you know, for what it is. And I think with that attitude, an open mind is what yeah. 
led me to just really enjoy moments in the village. I mean, I'm running around like a blue-ass fly, trying to pick up inventory items, trying to find some from extra health. I'm looking for the, the yellow herb, because I'm sure I remember in the original, it was in the village, but it's placed further on in this game. And uh, the Ganados, they're all running from various different directions following me. It's like kind of Benny Hill meets the Pied Piper. And just it's just mayhem. And then in the, just the, the, the kind of the height of all of this craziness, it's just cow from the far right of the the screen just runs right across my path on fire and it's clearly it's like like moo it's like clearly in distress i'm on fire it's like just absolute craziness and thoroughly enjoyable i had a fantastic time in the village well see this is the thing i've always loved the opening level if you want to call it that up to the bingo line of resident evil 4 i think it's still the best opening level of any resident evil game up to that point it's brilliant and I don't know why I had different expectations, I think, after that. And I feel I was bitten by the bug again. So I think I've said before, I got bored with the original Resident Evil 4 after I got to the canyon. I was then expecting a slower-paced, more survival horror-esque game. I just assumed in the original that the opening was just, this is the survival tension bit. There may be a few more of these, but most of the game's going to be that slower-paced tempo and then when i realized it wasn't you know i came quite indifferent towards the game because it's not my type of game and i don't know why i thought it was going to be different with this and so i got to the canyon again albeit this time through you know hunting some rats for the merchant and i was like what the fuck is going on um and then i got to the the canyon and i and i i couldn't believe i was having the same thoughts i was like it's the same bloody game it's the same, and I've just, you know, I was flashback to 2005, and I thought, oh, fuck. and I was, I was getting angry, and I, I wasn't particularly good at the canyon. I, I was running out of ammo, and it just became laborious, and I was not particularly enjoying it. And every five minutes, I was falling into bear traps, and the Ganado with the spear was running at me like a bloody javelin thrower, you know, just ramming it in me every five minutes. The Ganado seemed to have, you know, the accuracy of fill the power tailor with darts. It was just relentless. And at this point, I was going, I do not like this game. I just can't do it. It's t- I, I need time to think about what I want to do. I need time to consult the map. I need time to plan my moves. And the game doesn't give you this time. And, and this isn't necessarily criticism of the remake, I will say. This is just, this is what Resident Evil 4 is all about. And I think I foolishly felt that there was going to be a bit of a difference. And there isn't really. I mean, you can pick up both games and they more or less play in the same sort of way, albeit with slightly different mechanics. But I quickly became quite disinterested in the village part. I didn't actually enjoy a lot of it. The only part I felt was pretty good was the lake i enjoyed going onto the lake and going around with the boat i found that quite enjoyable and doing some of these random side quests and just chilling out there i enjoyed finding some of the the dead hikers i think they are in the in some of the areas and that environmental storytelling was really really impressive but yeah you have el gigante and then mendez i don't think he was expanded upon as much and i was speaking to you john and you you said to me oh don't forget to go back to the chief's house with ashley because you go and pick up some extras an extra couple of rooms and, and i was like i'm not gonna do it because this game is brutal any deviation you're gonna get picked off and ammo there's a lot of it but you use a lot of it and i don't know i, I was just 
yeah. becoming more and more depressed at the village section. Nothing worked for me in the village, and I, I find that really weird because it's always been a you know quite a good area, and it might, actually my favourite area of the original. But I just struggled, and ironically, I didn't particularly struggle with M- Mendez as a boss fight. I thought he was actually quite a good, decent, albeit you know very similar boss. But as I said in my introduction, if the game hadn't changed enough from the original, this game would have been very, very low on my score. But as we'll get to a bit later, the castle improves things. The island, the worst part for me of the original. <laughs> so good. But yeah, by this point, I was pulling my hair out. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, go on, George, you're going to say, but the village is great. And, uh, no, 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 no. no. I was going to no, say, if I'm right to understand that sort of the catalyst for your frustrations is not the game design, but the difficulty level. Because of your frustrations, it, listening to you there really reminded me of how I just couldn't connect with the remake of 2 originally because I just found a lot of difficulty with, with the game engine and, and that type of perspective and so my aiming was just off all the time I mean this could probably I hope this doesn't sound so fucking patronising but if you drop down a difficulty level because that's what I did I started I played the demo of for on the easier difficulty level to begin with and just basically just improved my aiming and then it just became so much more satisfying I just got so much more out of the game because because you're right you, you know those moments of frustration if it's just about the difficulty level it's a bit of both anyone who's seen me stream on Twitch will know that I've improved a little bit over the years with my with my RE games and I've kind of gradually gone up to standard mode so I perhaps foolishly went into standard mode from the very outset I am pleased I did and I think I share a similar story with Sean about that perseverance because I've never felt the way I felt at the end of an RE game than I have with this one the jubilation that I experienced and I tweeted it out I was like I can't actually believe I completed this game but at the beginning it was uh, I, I, I just found it annoying to a point and admittedly it doesn't change that much in the game you know and I was permanently running low on ammo throughout the game and health especially as well but the game always gives just enough to tick you over I don't think if you people may notice that when you use your last herb for example Leon will say oh last one and then you'll knock over a barrel and there's a herb you know it does do that which helps but I don't know what it was I think it was because I can possibly put it down to just being so underpowered with your weapons at the beginning that that, you know the shotgun barely does anything to a lot of them and you're getting these perfect kind of headshots or you know near headshots and you know it's not doing anything and you're like oh I don't know what it is but thankfully as I said my opinion changed but I'm afraid the village if I ever replay it, a bit of a chore, I'm afraid for me. I don't know if anyone shared that experience. As a concluding comment on that, I did think the village was the weakest part of the game, which where it was the strongest in the original. It's been interesting listening to you say this, Nick, because I feel like what you're saying makes sense, but at the same time, it also doesn't make sense because it fundamentally maybe that is part of the frustration that the weapons, you know, you hadn't got to that point where you were upgrading them. And then by the time you got to the castle, when you started to enjoy it more, you'd also started to upgrade some of your weapons, started to take some of the difficulty curve out to the point where if you go back now and play the village with the weapons that you've got at the same difficulty, you'll probably find it slightly more enjoyable because the difficulty balance will be slightly easier. Mm. And so I feel like maybe that's tainted your expectations or feelings about the village slightly because of that, because you were frustrated. You're 100% right. The game definitely does give you specific items based around what you've got. So it gives you ammo based around the weapons, mostly the weapons that you've got on your person. If you have a very few number of weapons, it starts giving you more, uh, you know, you start finding more money and and items that are more specific to allowing you to upgrade and and so forth. The game's quite well balanced in that regard, I have to admit. 
So I, I just feel like listening to it, you, you both make sense, but also there was probably ways around it and just decisions that you made, I guess. I think the only time the village outstayed its welcome for me was after you kill the Del Largo and you've got free reign with the boat. And I know you had that in the original, but it just felt like it was just unnecessarily extending the length of things. Like when you had to go in the caves to get the emblem, you know, the caves are just not very interested environments to go around, I don't think. I suppose it's nice to have these little optional areas where you want to go and get treasure, but it just felt a little bit laborious to me. It's it's almost a carbon copy of uh, the section in Resident Evil 5 where you have to go around the various villages and get pieces of the emblem, you know, right down mm. to uh, yeah. having the, the boat wreck in the middle where you can get the red nine it was exactly the same and that was the only time in the village where i thought you know i'm I'm getting a little bit bored now because it's just the same thing over and over but then again what i did appreciate was just how open everything was you know there was none of these red doors that blocked areas off you could literally go around the whole village and it was worth going around like you know even doing things like the house lewis was locked up in that was just a random burnt out house in the original game but in this it's his actual grandfather's house and if you go back there you can get a file you know the, his grandfather's diary likewise chief mendez's house it's it's a mini law room and it's completely optional you know most players will miss it because you don't have to go back there at all you know you were saying you felt disappointed in mendez well that's because you didn't go back to his house and find all those <laughs> hidden files yeah and i speak to you john i totally missed the hitchhikers that are in yeah the house mm. Lewis. and that was a, another lovely little detail that came out of nowhere finding those bodies and the police talking about people missing you know you're right nick the environmental yep. storytelling's off the chart on this game not necessarily in terms of going up to things and then giving you a little text description but just the graphical details I sent you that picture the other day of that mural on the wall and I was like, where's that at? It's actually in the town hall where all the skulls are and you can find, you know, what I'm assuming is the old Gigante skull. But if you study the walls inside there, it's full of murals and pictures that are barely noticeable unless you're really up close. It gives you a flavour of just how far back the Los Illuminados go and, you know, how deeply tied the village is to it. You know, the environmental storytelling really is superb in this. Mm. No, I, I I agree, but as I said, the way I was playing, I know I said you even say go back to have a look at Mendez's house. I, I just couldn't risk it. I, mean, I think I did one minor deviation, and I was you know I used up all my health being you know nearly killed by the Comilos or whatever you know the dogs, and it's just too risky in this for me. Um, so it, it may be on a on a future playthrough. I think the biggest issue it's predominantly at night, and whilst you know the, the, the HDR. You know the graphicals and the, uh, and the HDR of it is is great. I do think a little bit is lost because it's not in that kind of autumnal brown, if you want to call it that. There was something quite eerie about that kind of palette color choice that they had with the original, and it made it nice that when it did go to nighttime in the original, it's like, oh wow, you know that everything kind of changed. Whereas this was kind of this, you know, the, you know just nighttime the whole time, and then it started to rain, and you know the rain. It's obviously been a, an interesting topic for the community for a, you know, for a couple of weeks. It didn't quite have that difference that once you've kind of done the wetland bit, which I didn't like the wetlands. I never liked it. I, I found that a bit annoying still. But I don't know. I, I just felt the village was a bit samey, whereas, you know, going back to the night village in the original was quite a different experience. I, I don't think there's enough. And the, the main change here was 
I said like the tower falling down, wasn't it? And then I think like Salvador chainsawing down particular paths uh, in, in the original kind of like encounter and things like that. So it didn't quite work for me, the village, as much as, as it did in the original. I completely agree with the brown colour palette because it's such a staple of the original and it, it feels like this game takes place in summer 2004 rather than autumn. You know, mm. all the trees had shed the leaves in the original. They were all pointed and gnarled and it, there's just too much greenery in this. And, and mm. like you say, in the original, when it was dark, it was pitch black, it was driving rain, there was torches lit everywhere. Whereas in this, it feels like what they do in modern films where they shoot it all in daylight and then put a filter over it. So it, it gives like a really crappy darkness effect as if it was taking place at night. You didn't get that cold oppression that the, the the sort of real chilled autumn of the original game gave. You know, you mm. almost could could feel the leaves crunching underfoot and you could feel the, the chill in the air. The atmosphere was so strong, whereas this, um, certainly on the, like the Del Lago fight, when you actually look at, you know, look at like the valley around you, it all looks like, you know, really richly growing conifer trees or someone will correct me or whatever. The landscape in the original looks sick. It looked unwell, and I think that really translated well into the sort of oppression of the village. Yeah, I, and I do want to blame Resident Evil Village as well a bit here because obviously it's such a new game in the series. You know, it's the last game we kind of really played. I think Village did the village better. I think we all kind of mentioned it in our kind of village review that by the end of the game, you know, you felt that the Resident Evil Village was a character in itself. It evolved over time. And yes, you spend longer in that village than you do with our village, in RE4's Pueblo or whatnot. But I just think Village did it better overall. And they probably weren't, you know, they weren't aiming for it because they've got bigger areas to go to in RE4. But because they're so close together in terms of, you know, release dates, there is an inevitability about its comparison. And I thought it felt a little bit flat compared to the gorgeous uh, snow capped effect that we got in RE Village and then that gradual decline into utter chaos. Um, I, I think that that worked really well, as I said, to a point where we thought the village itself was basically a character, whereas this just felt, because of that consistent approach and appearance throughout the time that you're there, it felt a little bit flat for me. Roost, I've secured Baby Eagle. Copy that. Is she okay? Yeah. Affirmative. Well done, Condor One. I'll dispatch a chopper ASAP. I'm sending you the coordinates for the extraction point. Make your way there, and don't let anything happen to Baby Eagle. Copy that. Yeah. Hurry. The weather is getting worse. Roost out. Other highlights then of the village section? I've kind of dwindled a bit on, on my negative experiences with it. As I said, there's not a lot difference. You know, El Gigante was a near-identical fight, really. But you got a little bit more backlog with the El Gigante, which was quite nice. A nice little fiendish file hidden actually in the, the room that he comes out of, you know, the cave that he emerges from. Mm. I mean, had you guys not been talking about it, I'd never known it was there. Yeah, I'm, that was the only file I missed on my first playthrough from the village. If you're willing to take the time to explore, you can find a lot of optional things. Because, you know, as I said before, if you miss the village chief house, if you miss the El Gigante's pit, you know, you miss out on a majority of the lore in the in the first third of the game. There's a little, lots of little mini excursions. Some of them I can definitely understand. Like, going back for that lore room, it's kind of tough because there are extra enemies around. But then, like, heading into the back of the cave, it's just if, whether or not you think about doing it after the boss fight or not 
Mm. It's literally it. I think it's easy to miss, you know, if people aren't really paying attention or thinking about it, it's moving forward. I can't even figure out where the dog goes. You hear him, but he, where does he disappear to? He goes and sits uh. on, like, a ledge, and you can go up to him after the fight. After and the thank him. That bit I've seen, the thanking, but he doesn't... I didn't see him. I wasn't really paying attention. Isn't there a wolf mission as well to kill the, the wild dog? Isn't that one of the merchants? Yeah, if you do go to the chief's house and you come back into the village, it's it's in the village square. You have to go up to the house first and then it taunts you from the other side of the gate and runs off. Mm. That's what triggers it. Right, right, okay. I've heard about that. I mean, it's really quite interesting, is it, since post-release, the amount of expert tips that have emerged have been quite interesting to see, you know, famously in the village. If you shoot the bell, mm. you can you can skip the entire <laughs> the entire village siege. There's, there's heaps of little things like that. Yeah, like the statue in the tower has an explosive barrel hidden in it, and you can shoot it through a gap. Oh, to wow. That's cool. I've not seen that one. I've seen, I thought I'd seen most of the skips as well. Did you not? You honestly not know that one? Blowing up the what the fire breathing statue? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. I, I thought it was just an obstacle you had to escape from. No, you, if you stand below it, you can see a little gap. Or as you're going upstairs, you can see a little gap in its back. And oh, um, see, I'm gonna look for that next time. Then that's cool. I guess it's the idea is that it's got a fuel supply inside, and it's an explosive barrel, so you can shoot it, and it blows up the statue, and it no longer breathes fire at you. What else is there? There's, oh, there's obviously the egg skip, as everyone has found out now, which is funny because it's really obviously hinted at when you think about it, but then yep. like, someone actually trying it, that's so funny. I mean, players have found some illegitimate ones as well. So. No, Sean, what about you then for the village? How did you, you know, what was your, did you enjoy it, or did you a bit more like me in terms of frustration in, in hard, because hard, you did hardcore mode, um, yeah. I just wondered. It was not pleasant at times, but... I thought it was good. You know, there was enough recognisable in there. Um, like I say, I did, I did prefer the feeling and the atmosphere of the original game, but this was very welcome in terms of how open it is. Before people start, the extended boat section that John talked about earlier is not them use it as a test bed for a Resident Evil 5 remake. It was just something <laughs> very similar and, and, and neat. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, I didn't really have an issue with it at all. I mean... I think each area was sort of realised quite well, and there's a nice little Easter egg for people. If you go behind this, the cabin where you get the siege later, you can actually see the gondola cable cars coming down from the hill, so I wonder if that'll be a potential location we might see if some Ada DLC comes along. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's quite it's nice. Behind, you can just see it coming down from a hill, and there's a couple of cable cars stuck on the actual cables. So that was a nice little Easter egg if you explored. There's a lot of that in the game. Uh, in terms of structure, it's more or less identical in terms of like the order of which you do things, and and there's some nice inversions. Like you know, you, you when you're making your way to the lake, you think, oh, you know, where's the the sort of little fishing village bit, and then obviously that's its own little fetch quest with the the boat fuel. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was nicely remixed. It kept it fresh, so you weren't literally walking around a one-to-one experience of the original. But yeah, I I do miss the palette. I know some would say, oh, you know, how can you miss something that's just brown? But it really did lend an aesthetic that I appreciate in the original. Does anyone think the Ganados were a little bit too, let's say, fast? They were quite, they, they were fast. A little bit, a, a bit over the top. Uh, it's so hard, I don't know. It may just because I was, I, I'm crap. I, I, I don't <laughs> think it's that, Nick. I think it's just the fact that the original game obviously was stubborn to a fault in that they wanted to plant you when you were shooting, there was no moving, and, and the, the manoeuvrability was basically just a tank control. And now you've got this, like, new twin stick control method, you've got parrying, you've got multiple weapon slots. I think they've adjusted 
the enemies to match your heightened abilities that you have now, just simply through it being a more modern experience. Mm. Mm. I just got so fr- so frustrated at times <laughs> uh, with the, the, I mean, the, their accuracy is too good, and it, at times you know you, you're impaled, grabbed, and then thrown at, and then it's like, oh my god, get off! And then <laughs> head heads come off, and like for fucks. <laughs> one, one of the things that I did, I, I do still level at the game a, a little bit is there is a lot of stuff that makes you stagger. There are entire sections where you just bounce off people if you run into someone you sort of have a stagger animation if someone you know bumps into you you have a stagger animation there's there's just so many things that interrupt you and you can get mm. what's called like stun locked which mm. is a phrase in gaming where you just leon has very very few what we call iframes now where he is momentarily invincible from certain things uh, if you are going in with the sort of classic Resident Evil 4 mentality that like once you start doing a melee move, you're invincible. Once you climb a ladder, you're invincible. You'll be very, very surprised in this one when you can get knocked in midair sometimes jumping off a platform. And Leon's very vulnerable in this. And mm-hmm. it, it can be a bit frustrating sometimes when you're just literally bouncing off enemies and then something knocks into you and that causes you to stagger and then you get choke held. And then as soon as you get free, someone hits you with an axe. And you're like, Jesus, just give me a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely happens. And the smaller the environment, the easier it is. I, I know the cabin siege in particular is really tough for that sometimes, especially on the harder difficulties. So you get hit yeah. by one enemy and then hit by another one immediately afterwards, quite regularly in that space. I've seen a lot of people say that they found the the cabin siege the first real bottleneck difficulty moment. How did you guys get on with it? I actually am very proud to say on hardcore I did it third time, which I thought was an achievement. I did it on standard and I, I thought it was actually easier than the original. Mm. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I've done it on standard and probably next like what <laughs> it was the cabin section in the original that was kind of the first time where I really sort of embraced this series, turning away from the you know the slow pace of other horror, more to an action focused game. It was just so intense and really scary. I think you're right. The original, I don't know, it just felt like there was a lot more riding on it, whereas this kind of felt more of the same in, in the remake. I didn't feel particularly different. Like It really felt like a standout sequence in the original. You know, we've had a lot of cabin sequences since Resident Evil 4, and I think Resident Evil 4 is, is still the best out of all of them. I found the remake version very, very difficult. Uh, I think it took five or six attempts for me. And, and it was mainly ammo. Um, I, I don't know if it is timed in terms of how, how much you need to do. But... It ends when you kill the brute when he turns up. There's a certain amount of enemies you kill when the um, the ladder eight. drops or whatever, and then there's a certain amount that you have to kill, and then the brute turns up, and then when the brute's dead, it ends. So, okay, yep. right. Again, ammo was scarce, and I appreciated that you could just kind of run. They gave the option of you, you could do a circle, couldn't you? You could jump down the balcony. Yep. That helped Stairs, a lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Luis gives you ammo as well. If you are very low, he keeps yelling out at you that you've ammo, but then you've got to accept his ammo and be in the area that he's in in order to get it he doesn't just stand still as well he kind of runs around yeah so it's interesting because i think listening to this has kind of twigged something in my head which is that the areas that people expected to be difficult from the original perhaps aren't as difficult in areas that they were probably easier in the original were more difficult and i feel like that perhaps may have been slightly intentional because while i know you, you struggled nick the rest of us that perhaps play on these difficulties a bit more regularly didn't find the standard difficulty harder than the original but 
it seems like that might have been slightly intentional that they went or their cabin siege was considered perhaps a little too hard in the original we've made it a bit easier but that doesn't mean that other things haven't been made harder i guess i don't know just listening to everyone else's comments as well there's no adaptive difficulty in this game because that was another original re4 no there, there is on that to be honest i feel like there is because i feel like if you keep dying it starts giving you more ammo i've noticed i've definitely noticed that because there was a section yeah. in the remake when i was playing it the first time that i kept dying on and i can't remember what it was now but i died like three or four times and then it started giving me ammo drops because the reason i kept dying was i was like mm, pretty tight on ammo here and i was struggling and then it all of a sudden instead of like 10 handgun ammo it was giving me 20 handgun ammo more often and i was finding that occasionally i was shooting enemies and i was hitting them and killing them in like two or three hits as opposed to like three or four hits so i think there is an adaptive difficulty it's, it's subtle but it's there mm, yeah maybe. i mean that is another thing that i would actually mark this game down for and i know any game that has adaptive difficulty has this to bear but i do think this game is particularly notorious for it certainly on hardcore the entire rng situation the random number generator of you know, you reload one save, let's say, and you open a barrel and there's four items in it. One attempt can be four Peseta pickups, which don't help you at all. You go into the next combat section and you get massacred because you've yep. just not got decent resources and things like that. So you reload the game and the next time is one heavy grenade, three shotgun shells, one more pickup of Pesetas and a maybe a red herb. And that heavy grenade will make the difference. Those shotgun shells will make the difference. But something will maybe just catch you out just beyond it and you have to reload the checkpoint again. So you then go back to the same box, and it's three Pesetas and one handgun pickup, and you've got difficulty again. This game is notorious, I found, at times for being like that, where too many encounters can be defined by how stingy the game is with giving you... It's an inherent problem with any game that does these kind of pickups. Yeah, and it's that fact that you got slightly further than last time the game goes, oh, you did all right, so we don't need to give you the same thing we gave you last time, as opposed to knowing that you actually do need the help. I experienced that as well. I did think that the actual highlight of the village section was the Bella Sisters set piece. I like the fact that they got rid of the, the option of these two El Gigantes, and they actually, I don't, I don't say they completely made them cannon fodder the El Gigantes because the first one's still quite imposing I like what they did with the second one and then you got the, the, the two in the in the lava room or whatever room it was in which is fine getting rid of the, the other two optional ones I think was a good idea and focusing exclusively on just having the Bella Sisters was great because again it had a nice kind of build up and it was all very quiet here, and you're like, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. And, and their introduction was great. It's two chainsaws going through, going through the wall. Like, oh my god! And then hide a quick, actually hide in the locker, and then you're off. Um, that was probably the highlight of the village section for me. I, I, I like that. Did anyone else find, although I found the Ganados creepier, there was something creepier about them in the original. The voices were stronger. I think it's probably a good way of... Yeah, and also the just the facial mechanics and, and the way they moved as well, almost slightly similar. You know, those kind of jerky movements you get kind of with the clickers and maybe a little bit in The Last of Us. I don't know, but it was actually the more like the signature enemies. You've got the, like Dr. Salvador and the Bella Sisters, obviously with the improved graphics. It just looked fantastic. It was actually that section where I didn't realise that you could hide Ashley off into that locker, but then on my third attempt on normal mode when I realised you couldn't and I, and I packed her away in there and then realised you could then back out of that room and so I just did and then I just at one moment just realised you had both sisters in the in, in that 
cabin and a whole heap of enemies and i was just on the other side of the door and i just rolled my grenade in there and just lit it up like the fourth of july they oh it was fantastic uh, that was a great moment yeah i think they they put a bit of effort into making that a bit more interesting than perhaps it was where in the in the original it was just more of just a fighting pit running around in a circle whereas here you've got a big kind of maze like area haven't you and strategy you can even leave the area and the music kind of stops so I've, i i got out of the area and everything i said it's gone and you kind of come back in then it kicks off again which I thought quite weird. But that was my, my, my kind of favourite part of the village. Before we headed into the castle. So, what's become of the Amber? Sorry, nothing yet. But my little helper is creating quite the commotion. Everything will work out just fine. As long as you can keep your dog under control... He's a good boy. Predictable. Fine. Keep your mutt. But don't come crying to me if you get bit. With great trepidation, I think we all entered into the castle. And again, I, right at the beginning, I was a bit disappointed because it's identical to the original. And I thought, oh, here we go again. And uh, I thought, oh, no. And I, I don't like that introduction with the, the the unlimited catapults and the bringing up the cannon. I thought, oh, it's getting silly, it's getting silly. I don't like it. Thankfully, it then quickly turned into a very different beast and we got the first kind of Garador underground. And that was brilliant sub-boss. I thought that was immense. Because um, that's exactly what I wanted. Because I, I even in the last podcast, I was talking about I want there to be a bit more stealth in the game. And that kind of sub-boss was really good. You could kind of, you know, try and sneak around, trying to catch out the Garador and taking out his, um, you know, his parasite on the back. That's kind of, I think, where the intelligent game design comes through because you've got the, um, initially it just looks like a, a set design in the environment, the hanging chains. But then you quickly realise, obviously, that that's what's attracting him. Yes. Location. Yeah. I thought that was just a clever little touch, in, you know, for yeah. specifically a setup for that boss battle. Yeah, it was. I think that set piece on the whole was better. Infinite times better. It was just a small little room you'd battle him in in the original, whereas this is what you would consider to be a full on set piece. And with the stealth mechanics, and, and that's something we haven't really talked about yet. We've talked about like the parrying and that. The stealth is really good. It's not over reliant on it. What you often find with a lot of games that want to put a stealth system in place is that they force you into playing entire sections of it in stealth and then they'll put in like a nonsense thing where, you know, enemies will one hit KO you. Resident Evil Six did it if you if you I was gonna say, you mean like Resident Evil Six? Yeah, in the (laughs) Ustanak cave you know and it's not fun there's no sense of enjoyment from that whereas here stealth is just a tool that if you utilize it quite well will save you a little bit of enemy encounters if you like you don't need it you don't need it at all you can just go crazy but in the garador fight it pays dividends and there is actually a trophy you can get if you just take out a garador using your knife which obviously the stealth mechanics come massively in play there Mm, i think a good example of using the stealth well is one of the early sections in the castle which deviates heavily from the original which is the reimagined fight where you have to take out the red cultist which is now in a wine cellar like in the original it takes place in this big sort of ballroom and you can run upstairs and you end up chasing him round and round in circles and got this crazy gatling gun that comes up out of the floor and cultists all over the place firing crossbows at you and you haven't really got a choice you've just got to engage them and play this game of you know chase the red cultist and avoid the gatling gun it's just nonsense whereas in this it takes place in a dark 
dusty wine cellar. You can still go in all guns blazing if you want to, but if you use the stealth mechanic correctly, you can get all the way up to the Red Cultist without him even noticing you're there. You know, it's it's really quite brilliant. Yeah, I've d- I did it. Yeah. 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 Or if you've got a sniper rifle, you can take him out from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was wondering that other. when I came around the corner and saw him and, and the chanting leading up to that moment, because that's what I, one of the things I loved about the original, despite it being very combat orientated, I was trying to eke out every bit of survival horror fix I could and, and just the chanting, uh, you know, of, of the monks and everything in the original, you know, I really immersed me in that kind of gothic atmosphere and I loved it in this and you, you know, you can hear it and you don't know where it's coming from. And I come around the corner and I see him. I thought, oh, this, this is almost going to be too easy if I could just take him out with a sniper rifle. And then and loaded it up and fuck, I was out of sniper ammo. So I wondered if you could actually, if you could take him out. But did you, his chanting, yeah. did you like, oh my God, the voice actor that's doing that. I mean, it's really intense. Yeah. That's what I loved about this game. It wasn't kind of just like one dimensional combat. You know, like Batman said, you really have to go in guns blazing. You're running around. But then you've got that chanting and you've got Leon, not hallucinating, but you know, he's feeling the effect of the plaga isn't he and, and um he, he's getting very disorientated yeah it all adds up to some great great fun i mean it must be sad i mean you know for as much as i obviously opened with the you know i prefer the original but some of the reimagined set pieces like the wine cellar are infinitely better than their mm. counterparts in the original game I, you know even as a purist and all that I, you have to concede when they've just simply reimagined something so much better and I know a lot of people were hoping that the remake would lend itself more to a, a more driven horror experience and I think the final product isn't that but moments like the wine cellar do take a step in that direction more so than the original did because it was nonsense that you had these cultists in this very rustic castle with mini guns and rocket launchers Whereas this is just a skulking, you know, misty, quite oppressive. It's very good. Very, very good. Like I say, you know, you run out of superlatives, but th- there are moments in this game where they have aced what they were trying to go for. And that's one of them. The castle actually feels like a real proper location now. You know, the mansion feels like a real place. The castle feels like a real place now. When you get when past you... the hedge maze into the sort oh. of the more posh parts where Nick would live, you know, it's really, <laughs> really quite exquisite. And the rooms you go into there look yeah, absolutely gorgeous. I think the only section of the castle I missed from the original was the sewer section at the start with the Navista doors. I think that's actually quite an effective, creepy little section. Mm. So I did miss that in this version, and the Navista doors themselves were a bit dumbed down in this. But yeah. um, the castle and Ashley's section, I actually really like Ashley's section in the original. I think it's really quite creepy, but what they did with this in the library and the, the mausoleum was absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Ashley section in the original—that's a throwback to the Hookman demo, isn't it? With the uh, the suits of armor. And they, yeah, mm. they get a, they get another nod to that in this as well. Oh, the Ooh. deer head, the deer head, yeah, and with a blue light as well, which I thought was genius. Yeah, yeah nice touch. Um, the section that you get into after the hedge maze is just like you just feel like you're playing a classic RE game again. It's so beautiful, and there's like even a classic puzzle in the in the dining hall. You'll get to that GT. It's really good. It's very simple, it's very easy, but it's, it feels very much in keeping with Resident Evil as a puzzle. And keeping a reference to the original, that's a yeah. much more simple concept in the OG, but it still has that same little reference to it. It's kind of cool as well. For me, this is where it started to turn, because as you said with the puzzles, there's a lot more puzzles in this game. A lot more interesting puzzles, and ones where you, you, do, you have to think 
about it. Relatively simple in their execution, but well thought about. I think definitely a step in the right direction for people maybe that lament the lack of puzzles that we got, you know, certainly with the original four and five. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, you know, they're not difficult, but some of them make me think, oh, you know, and look back on files and I thought, well, you know, what, what are you doing and that kind of thing. So that was good. And I think for me, because I was so low on ammo for the vast majority of the game, I ended up playing possibly <laughs> through more luck than judgment, more of a survival horror game than perhaps Capcom intended. I don't know, because I was so low on ammo and so low on health. This just, is not, not something... one thought that popped yeah. into my head when you were describing this during the village section, Nick. But I was like, this sound, you were like, I had just enough ammo. And I, and I was like, well, this sounds like a classic survival horror game, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and it was. But it I didn't... Like the experience they've tailored. <laughs> Action. <laughs> but, I didn't, didn't particularly enjoy village, but then in the, in the castle, perhaps as as Bat says, we're in such a cool location, you know, almost a classic RE type location, you know, with puzzles and you know zombie like creatures, should we say, and you know cultists and all sorts. And I don't know. I mean, my previous experience of four is I've never had a problem with ammo. I've never had a problem with inventory space and what to do or things like this. And this time, I you know I was actively avoiding creatures. I was even in the um, you know the water dragon water room whatever it's called, I, I was using the you know the stealth mechanic and I, you know, sneaking around trying to get as many one hit KOs with a knife as possible. And so, as I said, through more luck than judgment, I played the entire game basically permanently on you know caution is <laughs> probably the best way I, you know in terms of health permanently throughout the game. So I had about you know ten hours of just being on the absolute edge of not being comfortable. Well, on hardcore, I was limping through every encounter. So, you know, I had, it sounds like I had a very similar experience to you, Nick. I mean, I, I yeah. don't think I ever had more than six shotgun shells the entire in my inventory at a time throughout yeah. the entire game. They're so scarce. But what I find interesting is, like, you've just had quite a lengthy monologue there about your, your trials and tribulations and your woes. And I know there's going to be plenty of our listeners going, well, this sounds absolutely fucking perfect, 10 out of 10. Because that strife that you go through and the elation you describe at the end mm. is exactly what I think a lot of people want from a survival horror experience. And that's one thing I can certainly say the original game never did. You know, the original yeah. OG4 never put you in that moment of like, it had moments where it like maybe in, in, inspired a little bit of panic here and there, but it never had a, that feeling that you just scrape through an encounter and when you look back through your inventory you would you know you're like on caution you've got one shotgun shell left in your shotgun there's no rifle ammo you know you never had a moment like that really in the original not even on professional i would say to be honest i think you're right that was exactly of my experience yeah. and you know being grateful picking up resources small um and then you know please let me have 12 gunpowders so I can make some shotgun shells please <laughs> you know that was a unique experience and you know perhaps um, Rob is right perhaps it just because it took me until the castle to realize this is going to be my experience of the game you know perhaps if I replay it from scratch you know not with not a new game plus perhaps I'll, I'll have a different experience I think you have a different experience even playing it on a new game plus you know because you well, that's true have, yeah. what you've described there Nick and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna branch off this at all but you have described a classic from software Dark Souls experience everybody has to go through this at some point where you, you feel almost resentment and anger that something is so hard and and there's those moments where you have like the bargaining 
it's almost like the seven stages you go through it, but you go through it with a video game where you're like, you know, I'm going to just try it one more time. And if it, this will be the last time, I'll, I'm just going to abandon it. I just don't care. You know, and you start to have that hatred and then eventually something clicks as you described it earlier as a click. And then things just start to fall into place and you start to realise how to beat the game through learning its mechanics, learning how the upgrades work. And then by the time you get to the end, you feel like you've gone on this epic journey of voyage and discovery. And it is almost like a cathartic emotional experience. So the fact that you've had something like that from a Resident Evil game, and I in many ways had it through hardcore, although by the end it, it sort of gone off because it was actually a lot easier than the earlier stages. But the fact that you've had what we would consider to be a Dark Souls experience from a Resident Evil game, to me, is absolutely wonderful. Like, I think there's no higher accolade that you can give this title than what you've just described, really. It is true. It really was. As I said, by the end, it was almost jumping out of my sofa. Going, yes! You know, because it, it, it was a journey. And I'll, I'll continue to talk about some of my experiences, you know, as, as we talk more about the castle. There is one thing I do have to level against the castle. One, on. one thing that is... One giant thing? It, uh, the one giant issue... That I have with the castle, Rob. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. What, what on earth were they thinking? It's just not good. It's. Just, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but to me, it just did not work. It felt totally out of place. I love the idea of the battlement wall. I think that as a as a area is cool. But having that, it was the one time where all of a sudden the game went back to feeling like it was trying to be the OG. Like, here's something really ridiculous for no reason. Yeah, definitely. It didn't help that you had loads of cultists along the battlements as well. Mm, um, and and it, parasites it, as well, which only make um, it harder. Yeah, that was quite a tough section. But yeah, having... The moon, uh, moon doors. Yeah, the Mordor Orc. Because it really was, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, just turning up randomly. But I still prefer that to having the two from the village in the original. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's the Spider Plagus this time round, amazing. Jesus no, Christ. No, 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 no. Arachnophobic. It didn't quite trigger my arachnophobia, but they were still amazing with the way they scurried on the walls and stuff like that. Really, that, really well done. For me, that was the one thing where they took an idea from the OG and we, how can we put that into a gameplay mechanic? Because they obviously still had that reference when you're in the labs with the regenerator later on and they've got the tortured person with one attached to their back and they had that in the original and then they went, oh, how can that be a newer mechanic where it actually has that sort of impact and it, it just yeah, it really works. Piss me off a treat, these spider plaga. <laughs> Bloody hell, they're so quick. And you can drain so much ammo on it. Trying to... trying to. Oh my gosh. I will say, overall they were fine and it was a nice, it was a nice twist. Did anyone think that there was one too many plaga mutations? And I'm specifically talking about the hunter gamma plagas, if you want to call them that. The ceiling I, walker. I don't mind, you know, the, the one that, you know, that bursts out, the one from the original, if you want to call it that, you know, that come out in the night. That will fine. That was, you know, but then just having the one that kind of eats you with teeth. I, I was just like, do, do we need another one? And because they, they just turned up at the most in annoying times. You're like, oh, I do not need one of them because they. If you can't get your timing right, you can only really kill them if they've got their mouths open. I don't know. I don't think the game needed that plaga. Someone didn't stockpile some flash grenades then, by the sound of it, Nicholas. But I never picked up one flash grenade in the entire game. Did you not buy the recipe, sir? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Yeah, of course he didn't. <laughs> no, well, I'm I, not surprised. Because I could only use my things for shotgun shells. That's the only thing I wanted to use them for. 
And yeah. flash grenades. They're like the best thing in the game. As was attuned the other day, the fact that you can skip the Gyarados by having their exposed, you can you can literally use them to for that. It's amazing. We need to have a feature on our podcast YouTube where we manage to get someone in Capcom to sit Nick down with the developers of these games and the, and their number they're crunching through all these amazing mechanics that they're going to work out and you know balance the game and Nick he's just so nonchalant to it all. He's all just like, no, nah, I'm not going to yeah. use that. No, don't worry about that. I'm not going to use that. No, no, no. I'll only use shotgun shells. Don't worry about that. And uh, yeah, no, flash grenades, no. I'll just pick up the ones you give me, so just put more in the environment. I'll sell you these ten <laughs> flash grenades for two shotgun shells. <laughs> <laughs> but the riot gun's so good. It is good. It I is mean, it is. Easily. It, it, it is, but also doesn't hurt to have some flash grenades now and then. Like, Genuinely had about two the entire game. I don't think. Oh my god, this explains a lot, though. How long did it take you, Nick, to realise that the the blue flames helped with the armadaras? By the sounds of it, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you did stun the armor, didn't you, Nick? I got through it. Yes, and you physically froze them with the torch, the lantern. Yes, yes, yes. You could oh use the lamp. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that whole section where you know a- Ashley throws the lamps down before you do that section is supposed to give you that big giant clue. Yeah, no, I've got that. <laughs> Can we talk about the Ashley section? Right, this is not me shilling, right? So stand down parts of the community. I don't know how Capcom keep making these type of set pieces and continuously make them so brilliantly scary, but different at the same time. We talked about House Benny Vinto the first time and then changing it up for Shadows of Rose and they've just done it again with the Ashley section. It is absolutely positively brilliant and it was hard, it was challenging, I died many many times but it's all about strategy you know, especially when the armor's coming down the steps uh, right at the end, you think you're kind of there and you've got a whole other section to go and you've got oh, right, what I'm going to do here, that kind of thing. I don't know how they do it, they, they, they should just make a whole game like it because they've clearly got the skills to be able to do it. It, it was so, so good. And there's not enough libraries in games, is there? There is not. It's such a great location. I think that's the, and like the mausoleum as well. It's just oh yeah. Did you do the um, merchant's quest with the the super strong knight? In the not mausoleum? a chance. Okay, I did. On, I did I've, I've done on my standard run, but there was no fucking <laughs> no. where I was going back down there. That was tough. The library was exquisite. I went back in as Leon because I think there's bound to be a file in here. It's full of books. And uh, you take the fucking uh, the picture down and there's a fucking CQBR assault rifle there. Nice. He uses rifle rounds. Mm. So if you want them burning through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that whole section was so superlative as to describe, you know, that sense of vulnerability mm. and being able to, you know, plan your moves. And... Do you know what I thought was a wonderfully tense mechanic? Ashley's keyring. Yeah, that was really clever. Just such a little simple thing of ha- having like a chain, you know, a loop with four keys on, and you fumbling through them. Mm. They actually it managed to instill that fear of panic of like, fuck, which key is it? And, and <laughs> fumbling. Well, through that's, that's funny you say that. They're all engraved to match the outer I key. I've realised that on my second playthrough. <laughs> I realise that the first time, also along with the fact that you can't get hit while you're in that thing, so you can I take as much time. You can still hear him stomping. Yeah, you can still hear him stomping, but you never get hit. It's just... Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> I thought I was playing the game. I don't think so, anyway. I never did. I mean, uh, don't quote me on that. Someone's going to be like, no, I actually did get hit, but I I was fumbling around with the keys the first time real- before I realised. I was looking at them going, there's got to be some pattern here, so I was looking at each of the four keys 
and looking at it. I was um, like, oh, okay, yeah, it's definitely a pattern, and I didn't get hit while I was doing that, so yeah, I don't, I don't think you can. forward we will beat this together I don't know if I can you can just give me a heads up before you stab me next time okay Leon thanks is this now a good opportunity to just have a brief segue into Ashley? Yes, why not? Um, why not? I've never had a problem with Ashley in the original game. I thought I actually didn't mind her as a character. They, they went for a certain type of character, and I felt she fit that quite well and was performed, you know, well enough. I think the reimagined Ashley is amazing. I think she's really, really fucking cool now. You know, she's she's well realized, she's well acted, and she's endearing without being you know, too much in either direction or whatever. She's just she's just a really good character. And, you know, it's just a joy to have her in the game. Maybe this will come because I've only up to Chapter 8. Because I was quite surprised you, you saying that, Stars. Up to Chapter 8, I was finding almost too, you know, I'm pathetic. And you know, I'm almost expected D.I.G. to run out and, her, you know, to jump onto a chair and start, you know, lifting up her skirt and screaming. You know, she just seemed so rather pathetic and meek. No, and, she, uh, she comes into her own in the castle. Okay, okay, yeah. I, okay, big okay, moments. That's what makes her good in this game. She starts out very similar. You know, she's quite panicky. She's quite frightened. But then she does more in this. You know, she builds up a confidence by dropping ladders for Leon or turning switches or things like where she drives the digger on the island. Things like that give her a little confidence boosters. Mm. And she starts to say, oh, you know, we make a good team, don't we? And, and that yeah. alleviates some of her fear. And that's really, really good character development. Well, one of the things that the Resident Evil remakes have done well is how they cleverly invert aspects mm -hmm. of the original games. We've said this before on the podcast, but like in, in the Resident Evil 2 remake, the original game starts off with the truck driver at a gas station, and then he drives into the city. The remake 2 starts off with Leon and Claire arriving at the gas station, and then they make a way into the city. It's just a clever way of inverting it and keeping you on your toes so you don't quite know what to expect, whilst also keeping in with you know the ideas and some of the imagery that you, you're used to. And, and 4 does this in numerous places but one of the great things and, and you've asked gt you know does that does ashley come into her own well in the original game ashley gets caught in a like a cage trap if you like and leon has to rescue her when you have to shoot the things off with a sniper rifle but in this game it's leon that gets captured in the the cage trap or whatever and ashley rescues him brilliant it's a really clever way of inverting it, and it does wonders for her character and confidence it does, absolutely. She, she has her own little mini arc. Uh, as I said, by the end, as you said, John, very confident. We're a good team. We're going to plough on. And um, she even says she wants to be if she could become an agent at the end like Leon, you know. She ain't fucking taking Sherry's thunder, thank you. <laughs> Interesting about the cage bit, something I wanted to quickly talk about, the Garador. I think in the OG, they liked, say, 
LG County, so they just chucked him in far too many times. They liked the Garador, so just that Tsuyuni fight, you know, the fact that they didn't put Garador in the cage, which is stupid. It was a stupid moment. I will just chuck in another one just for the shits and giggles. You know, I think they used the time they had better and made them a bit more effective as a, as a result, whereas, you know, I think in the OG they just had too many but yeah ashley was a great addition and um that kind of leads on to the castle's kind of like uh the tram system in it was ridiculous in the original but this seemed a bit more plausible as a kind of fast travel type scenario just to get one from one end of the castle to the other and it worked in that sense and then you had like the the, uh, the novices we'll come to the bow's a bit more specifically and the underground bit and i think this is the only point where I wasn't 100% sure it worked from a geographical point of view on the runaway mine train, whatever you want to call it. I actually found that section quite fun and there's nothing quite seeing like a chainsaw man on a <laughs> runaway track trying to he's yank a chainsaw. For it, doesn't he? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like big head mode. Yeah. <laughs> but what I appreciated was the, the graphical upgrades of the area um, and where you're travelling. It seemed a bit more believable that, you know, this is where we're mining this is where we're, you know, excavating the plaga. I just hope we get more of a, a commercial entrance because it does seem odd. I don't know where all these Ganado are supposed to work, how they get there, which is fine. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there is. Um, and then there's a nice little skip as well. If you've got a, if you have the rocket launcher, you can skip it all. You just fire at the TNT and blow up. You know, you don't need to do the TNT stuff and just walk off. <laughs> So uh, that's quite an interesting skip. I was just going to quickly say, you do find that one file that suggests they've brought in like outside contractors, which have been helping with the excavation, mm. and they've breathed in the spores and become infected as well, so that might explain why there's so many people down so there. So many, yeah. I I just think, I mean, in the, in the original game, the, the amount of distance that you travel mm. um, is utterly nonsense. This was less, and, and you kind of end up back where you kind of started from, don't you, when you kind of climb back up again, and I don't know. It's a very minor nitpick. I just wonder, you know, if it's perhaps it's a little bit more circular as to where you're going. But the actual environment that you're in and the change up from like the, you know, the, the rest over stop and where the Dr. Salvador is and the Bella sister coming down as well. That was a nice kind of action set piece. Yeah. This is the notorious chapter four bit that we were talking yep. about earlier. You know, I think the minecart section is a great set piece now. It's it's really fun. And that's mm. that needed to be um and just a quick aside john lamented the fact that the novistadors sewers set piece isn't in the game and i i too can't believe it was omitted but they do kind of reimagine it a little bit in the first section when you fall through salazar's pit trap mm, yeah when you're first wading through the waters in the massive underground cavern uh, and they're jumping out the water at you I, I did see that as a kind of recreation of that moment so it, it's kind of there in some form and another little improved area in that section as well was the tunnels where you fight the first Verdugo. They've now changed it into like a little laboratory where some of the experiments were being performed and they actually give you an explanation for why there's liquid nitrogen tanks everywhere. So, yes. uh, you know, I thought that was a nice little improvement. And, and that particular fight was pretty much shot for shot replication, wasn't it? It was pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, Verdugo even looks the same, doesn't it? Mm. You know, we haven't really, again, talked about this, but the areas that are faithful are as close to one-to-one as the original remake was to the OG 96 game. Yeah. You know, when, when it is faithful, this game, it's really faithful. They really do go for it. And I, and I can see why people online, in particular, have been saying that they feel that this is the first remake since the original game that kind of takes that original game's DNA and just bolts on bits, as opposed to just reimagine it entirely. Mm. 
Another good example of that is probably the most infamous area in the original castle, which is the Hall of Water. You know, in the area after that, where you have to guard Ashley as she runs around turning the the cranks. Mm. You know, that was um, really well reimagined in this, and it was still a challenge. But I think they improved it by adding, you know, a second floor and. It wasn't anywhere near as frustrating as the original mm. game. Agreed, yeah. And low lava, thank Christ for that. How many attempts was the water room for you guys? Because <laughs> it, it, on hardcore, it did take me a few. I think I did it first time, but I, 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 I was only playing on standard. I was playing on standard too, yeah. It was challenging, but nowhere near as, as difficult as the original mm. game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I might have died once, stupidly, by getting hit by an arrow from distance. Because there's one archer that's in a archway by the entrance that's only you can't reach i think there's in their own little area and you can shoot them but you can't like get up to where they are Mm. and i think what really helped the castle as a whole is correct me if i'm wrong here but i think the only area where there was respawning enemies where they would like randomly drop through the ceiling was the the dual Garador fight. You know, in the original game, there was all sorts of areas where cultists would randomly come out of holes in the ceiling or, you know, respawn if you left the room. They seemed to really have dialed back on that in the remake, which I was really appreciated of. From from memory, I think the water room has an endless amount until you leave the room that you describe. I think the novice doors in the ballroom, you know, the crumbled ballroom. Yeah. I think they're continuous. But yeah, there isn't there isn't many to be honest, and the game is all the better for it. I mean, in fact, there were so many times I was expecting it in the village that I was almost surprised when the enemy stopped. The area after the cabin is quite a narrow section and there's um, some Ganados high up and they throw like Molotov cocktails down at you and there's one brute and a few people and it's a very thin, like a corridor, if you will, but it's outside in the rain. That took me a few attempts because I was trying to rush through it because I was just thinking it was going to be an area that had like endless respawning enemies and I just was dying so many times that in the end I just tried to take it slow and methodical and eventually I just sort of cleared the area and then there was no more. I just was able to just walk through it. That's the area where the El Gigante was in the original, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. And then you get, I suppose, in the castle climax is the area with the... <laughs> I was fearing the worst with this statue. I thought, oh, they wouldn't, would they? <laughs> they suddenly had a flashback of... I think you said, John, in the last podcast that... We're probably going to have the giant statue just wandering around the castle, firing laser beams out, out of its. <laughs> it's like, I, know. I was like, oh god, <laughs> it's going to be an enemy. Yeah, I was going to come, isn't it? But I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't. It was like Capcom knows that it was ridiculous. So they thought, well, I tell you what, we'll put it in, but it's not finished, if you know what I mean. We're, you know, So it looks like we're, you know, we're, we're not quite at the point where Leon gets to it in the original. So we'll just, we'll just have it kind of being built by the Ganados yeah. and. And it's not nearly as big. Yeah. (laughs) But I remember that elevator being a lot later in the game, but I I think I remember saying at the time it was so much happens in such a short period of time, that that condensed thing, it was very full on, and uh, it just worked that little bit better. You know, the lift scene, and, you know, again, you tactically get to stop and think, you know, with all the big boulders kind of falling down the stairs and, you know, trying to plan that better and then, you know, trying to sneak round the, uh, not to get flamed on and things like that. It worked a little bit better. The only thing I would say was when you get to the end of that point and you meet the merchant, he says, oh, you know, be careful about going on. You might want to tidy up mm, some loose which errands. Is, which is what he says at the end of every section. If you visit him the first time before the end of the village, before the siege, oh, does, oh um, right. where that first wooden cog puzzle was, underneath that, he just randomly 
adds a new workstation under there when on your way back through the village, for example. And if you if you visit him there, he says the same thing. It's like at the end of each section, it's programmed. But yeah, the one at that point makes no sense because you can't go back down. Well, this is the, the thing. I, I thought, oh, that's okay. I, I was checking my stats. And I thought, oh, I could probably do a couple of his little tasks. I might be able to, you know, see where I can go back and. I definitely missed something. I thought, I'll go back. And then I went back in, and you, you can't go back down on the lift. I thought, well, that's pointless. So uh, I can't do any errands. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to do it before you enter the clock tower. You can literally explore the whole of the castle, I think. Because there's another optional law room. It's the throne room where Leon gets thrown down the pit. Mm, you also get to throw an egg. Technically, you can enter the clock tower. You just can't go up the lift. So that's as far as you can go. If you go as far as there, then you can go back from there. But if you start the lift, that's it. You can't mm. go back. It's weird that they did have the merchant say that at the visit before you go across to the clock tower from there's the one on the other side of the it's like a elevated funicular bridge with the car going across basically there's one in that room obviously and it's amazing he doesn't say it there if you've got any other errands to do this would be the time to do it because that would make much more sense mm-hmm. but yeah. I, do, I do like the way this game encourages exploration because you know a significant amount of the files are in completely optional areas mm-hmm. that you don't need to go back to there's another one you almost have to go back right to the start of the castle it's near the wine cellar and you need Ashley with you because you have to give her a boost so she can unlock the door from the other side but there's a file in there that gives you the complete timeline yeah, of, the, of the Salazars which was really good what's the name of the suits of armour with a plaga inside them uh, if, you, if you do that early enough that's like the first time you encounter one of them yeah the Almadar yeah well I assume yeah. the Magnum was in there but I don't think it is but no it's not I think it's, it's just uh, another treasure in that file that's actually a really good moment for Ashley too she goes wow that must be worth a lot and then when you go past the next merchant she's like are you going to sell it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that got me chuckling quite a bit. Yes, well, there's a reimagined part where, where you do get the Magnum in the original game, don't you? Correct, on the outside yeah. with Ashley, yeah, on the outside wall. Yeah, talking about the only thing I haven't talked about is the, is the hedge maze with Ashley. I thought that was quite tough, actually, because the... I the, still the think dogs... it was easier than the original. I still think it was slightly easier than the original, but mm. maybe it's just me. I wonder I, if I lo- part of that is because I don't think the Cole Meos are as anywhere near as formidable in the remake as what they are in the original game. Mm. Well, this is interesting because I found them really tough in the village. But then, as you said, with the improvements of your guns, they only take a couple of handgun bullets, I think, by the time you get to that part. But there's there's so many of them and they're they're running very fast. Not all of them attack you as well, which I thought was a nice touch. So you can walk around and then you just see one jump through the hedges and you think, oh, and then it's gone. And then you don't know when it's going to appear again. It's quite a clever little moment, you know, planning it well to, you know, make sure Ashley's safe when she's doing her little bit. And things like that. I, I enjoyed it, but I thought it was. I thought it was quite tough. It took me a couple of attempts actually, just to um, strategize. I don't mind dying where I mess up, if you know what I mean. As long as you can learn from it. I, and this is the thing I found. You know, I didn't ever think the game was particularly unfair, bar the double Garador room. Fifteen attempts that took me. Fifteen. Rob, you had to step in and help with <laughs> some tips. But my God, that was tough. But other than that, where I died, oh, it was. Yeah. It was down more to do with my, you know, perhaps, oh, I shouldn't have done that, right, and you get punished. So that you can learn from it. It sounds like you wouldn't have had flash grenades to make it even easier anyway, so. No, no, I did not, no. I'm just wondering what were Rob's tips, like, you know, press the dodge button. You've got a dodge button. No, I was telling him specifics on targeting, where to target, like, a process of doing this, this, and this, in this order, and then making sure he avoided as best as possible. And also with the enemies in the area, it's really easy to bait the Garadors into hitting them by basically 
you stand in a one of the side entrance ways where you can only go one direction fire off a single shot at one of them that you hit and then immediately walk backwards and duck the enemies will come in your direction plus the garridors and they will pile into that room and then the garridors start flinging their arms all over the place and kill all the enemies for you it's, and you can just rinse repeat it and it's a lot easier to get rid of enemies at that rate well I think that, 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 that was the along. game changer I didn't realise if you ducked you didn't get hit <laughs> no. you can still get hit occasionally if you don't time it right but yeah, yeah. generally if you duck and you can which makes them infinitely much more easier to deal with in this version mm. the fact that you can duck that is a game changer for how you approach them because you can sneak up behind them a lot easier and then you can immediately leon automatically backs off after the stabbing animation but then you if you immediately duck and start walking backwards again you, you can just stay quiet and sneak around pretty much easily there's a trophy for killing one with a knife as long as you've got the knife ammunition for lack of a better term yeah. to, to deal with it you're fine but usually also what i found is that the game in that area tends to give you more knives out of the boxes if you break a knife and then smash a box or a vase open you tend to find a knife is in one of them or that an enemy drops a knife so again the game kind of tries to to help as best it can. The castle section of course finishes with the boss fight. Salazar boss fight is quite a new one. It's probably the most reimagined boss fight I think there is in the entire game. It's certainly very different from uh, the original. And before we talk about it though, I just want to make a little segue and say how incredible the soundtrack is for this game. Without a shadow of a doubt, the best OST of the RE Engine era. And I say that in, in the sense that I love RE7 soundtrack. Mm. for its effectiveness because when it kicks off it kicks off but in terms of uh, re4 has got more of a classical re in that you know different music different areas that type of thing it is brilliant and the salazar boss fight has got to be one of the best tracks they've ever pulled out it is oh, i don't know it's just so epic i completely agree with you and, and as someone who hasn't enjoyed the faster paced, you know, I've always liked the really like atmospheric, slow, uh, little haunting, melancholy tracks. For example, in you know Resident Evil Zero, which for me has one of the best sound designs across the entire series. I really haven't didn't enjoy the the two tracks you get in Zero when you know you're you're Billy trying to find Rebecca and the very fast paced ones that try to inject a lot of a lot of tension and immediacy into the gameplay. But you, you're right, Nick. I thought in this game, absolutely fantastic. The boss battle before this, the Mendes battle, I thought looked spectacular with with the fire surrounding you mm. but the the track that's playing during that battle i i would echo every everything you've said about you know i haven't got got to this one yet but in, in that that battle the track was absolutely fantastic but i've got to say i do miss those areas where you have like signature tracks for particular rooms you know i did miss that we don't have that i understand this kind of chapter episodic kind of environment sections it's quite maybe difficult to kind of have that uh when you're, you're not just maybe it's kind of walking into rooms with fixed camera angles where you're going to stay in that one small location for, for a longer period of time but at least have them where you see a typewriter can't we have that wonderful save room music you know i know it, it plays when, yeah well, no, it plays when you're saving the game but it doesn't play when you go into the you know there are rooms where you walk into these rooms and you've got the candle light and it's so atmospheric and you've got a little desk with files and letters on and you've got the typewriter there and it's complete silence. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have the classic soundtrack DLC, Nick, the RE4 save room music does play in those areas. Ah. It's definitely well worth switching on, although I will say, I think for this, I will have it off because I do think the soundtrack for Remake 4 is spectacular. And then just, I know you're talking about the Salazar fight, Nick, but the dual El Gigante fight, mm. I just don't even know where that piece of music came from in Capcom. It is just my god. Like, it is up there with, like, it sounds like something out of Bloodborne. 
or whatever. It's it's huge, bombastic, orchestral thing. Capcom are just industry leaders with their with their music. They really are. I think I know we, we've lamented some of the, the the lack of music in the remake RE Engine era, but my God, when they do put a track in there, it's worth the wait at times. And you, like you say, the Salazar fight just it's just it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's on a different level to most things we've heard in recent years. I'd only put it, I'd put it on par with, um, I, I think, the ship theme from RE7 when it all starts going to pot on the ship in RE7. And that's only effective because it's been so quiet at the beginning and then, you know, that works so well. Village, I mean, this thing, Village has got some great tunes, uh, really good tunes, but you just don't always hear it enough. Whereas this is the build up to it all. Yeah, brilliant. And also the. Um, I think the El Gigante fight generally in the village was also pretty good with the theme tune as well. But yeah, in terms of the actual Salazar boss fight, I thought that was an inventive you know, approach from a law point of view. Instead of merging with the Queen Plaga, we've now got you know just him mutating himself. We will do probably a bit more chat about the law. We'll do some today, but I think we're going to have a bit of a law chat uh, in a future podcast. You know, a very, very deep dive. But I thought this worked a little bit better. A tough boss fight as well. I know you can kill him with the egg relatively easily, but I, I thought this was a really good test, you know, of your resources. And uh, wouldn't surprise people now, I scraped through <laughs> at the end. Like you said, it was different, but it was similar at the same time. Like, he still has that one-hit kill when his mouth extends and comes out, like, yep. it, like it does in the original. What I really liked about that, other than the rather excellent scene where Leon is just like, fuck this, stop talking, <laughs> and shoots him in the head. That was brilliant. But what I liked was, when he does mutate and the fight starts, he starts reciting lines from the old script, you know, directly ripped from the codec conversations he used to have with him in the original game about, you know, uh, you just nothing but an extra in my script and all that crap. I thought that was a nice little touch. He just goes on and on, doesn't he? He's mm. like, you, you, by the end, you are going, shut the f- but that's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all he did in the original. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanted one of the areas where, and, and I said I wasn't going to do this much, but this is as good as time as any, uh, one of the areas where I do feel the OG surpasses the, the remake is in the villains. I do think the more grounded take actually harms them. Yeah, they're more believable, for sure, and they probably fit the tone that this game goes for better, but I think they're far less memorable. I know they were almost pantomime villains in the original, certainly with the, you know, the back and forth over the radio, uh, you know, when they jack the line and all that, Mr. Scott, but they're way more (laughs) memorable than the original. I came away from my experiences in this game and and I feel the same about Sadler later, that they're just kind of dull. Like there's a sense of humour and a charm to Salazar and Sadler in the original that I I felt was lacking from their characters and it wasn't replaced by anything meaty or meaningful. They just kind of exist and then they turn into a monster and Leon kills them. And that's kind of their arc. Whereas they didn't have an arc as such in the original, but they were definitely more memorable in their nonsense and silliness. And I know some people are probably groaning going, well, fucking hell, it's a Resident Evil game. It's a survival horror. I don't want these these wisecrackers over the radio. But if you think of the original game as more of like a James Bond mission with larger-than-life villains, then this remake, which goes for a much darker tone, doesn't give the villains anything in replacement of that. And so I think they do kind of get just forgotten about a little bit. I think some interesting points to lead on to. I agree with what you're saying completely, but I actually do applaud the decision that they removed these codec conversations. Hmm. I do agree. It totally derailed the original. They were so strange. Hmm. 
tricky. It's a tricky one to define because they don't do anything wrong in this game with the villains. I just think they're less memorable. And a lot of that is down to just the banter and the silliness, which, again, I know a lot of people don't like, but it is what it is. You look like you've got something to say. I have something to ask you, but I don't think I'll get a straight answer. Raccoon City. You know, after the incident, the world changed. You try to save one person, a hundred others die. I guess I changed too. You? Leon S. Kennedy. You haven't changed. You just think you have. So here's my question. Have you changed, Ada? Or are you just trying to use me again? What do you think? We're here. Don't think too hard, handsome. That brings us on to the final section of the game, The Island, which historically for me has been the worst part of the game. And I remember you streaming it, Sean, for relatively recently, original four, and it's just so tiresome. You know, that the whole bit leading up to Mike and all, you know, the onslaught in the kind of village type area. It's just so dull at that point. This game on paper looks the same. This version of it looks the same. But I think there's subtle differences that make it a bit more palatable. Even like the opening bit, which is, which is never fun. They got rid of two Gatling gun Ganados and just inserted one. And that just felt a bit more fairer. And strategically, you could use it. He wasn't that difficult to kill. But, you know, the way it kind of like, you know, lead him around and you could get behind him a lot easier, I felt, than with the Gatling gun Ganados from the past. And, they, and again, they didn't overdo it with the Gatling gun either. In the, in the original, they're just kind of there all the time. And I don't know. I just felt that the island fortifications were just a lot fairer. It just didn't feel as tedious. And I found you're quicker at the lab section. John, you said possibly a little bit, not straightforward, but kind of linear in that sense. But I just felt it didn't overstay its welcome. And I think this has been the biggest takeaway I found. Nothing overstayed its welcome. Whereas in the original, the Garridors probably did a bit and the El Gigantes did. And lots of ideas were used over and over again just to go, oh, you, you like that? We'll do some more. Whereas this seemingly kept it fresh throughout the game. For me, that's how I felt. Nothing ever really got boring. So by the time you kind of thought, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm getting to grips with, you know, how the Ganado and the island are reacting and their strategies with electric attacks and suddenly you're in the labs and the game then just totally transforms yet again I just find that it was much more palatable and accessible the island I wondered what they were going to do with it really because I'd got to like I think I think you killed Salazar at the end of chapter 12 and I'm thinking well I know there's only 16 chapters and we're not even at the island yet but they, it's actually quite expanded and streamlined in very neat ways and all the very memorable enemy encounters are still there I thought the island was excellent. So relieved that it wasn't El Nesto. <laughs> we were all collectively worried, weren't we, that it was just going to be reimagined as an umbrella facility and Sadler was going to be an umbrella scientist. And they didn't. It's so authentic. And that's the thing. Those people who were waiting for like Resident Evil 4 to expand the lore in massive ways and fit much more in keeping with the series, there's a few additional extras which are probably welcome. There's a big one with Lewis. But for the most part, the game's actually really authentic and in some ways a little bit vaguer, almost. I think the people who really want that are hungry for the lore to be fixed, I say in inverted commas, with this game. 
will come yeah. away a little bit disappointed because it doesn't really do much more other than the occasional nice reference like Javier, although Javier's not the same now. That ain't the same. I don't know what version of Operation Javier Krauser was yeah. playing because that ain't the one I was playing in Dark Side Chronicles. You know, whilst you don't get, you know, big clangor moments like Umbrella stock prices crashing, you don't get anything at all in replacement. So arguably, you know, it's kind of vaguer in places. It could leave it more open for people to interpret their own law, but it's an inter- it's an interesting game. It's going to be fascinating to hear you dissect parts of this, John. It really is. You know, as much as I don't like retcons and things, I do like what they did with the law in this. I think it added to it really well. Because obviously when the original game came out, all of us were so disappointed with how disconnected everything was and how vague everything was. And it makes me wonder how we would have felt about the original game if this storyline had been in implemented you know if Luis had been an umbrella researcher in the original game things like that but just going back to the island I disagree with you Nick in the sense that I've never understood why the island has always been so universally disliked I just think it's a brilliant location you know unlike the castle it felt real it was so dirty and dank and everything was falling to bits and there was no one more relieved than me when I got to chapter 13 and the island had retained its original aesthetic in this you're right it has been streamlined and it probably does improve the experience but I actually missed the section where you escape on the truck and Ashley's driving and Leon's on the back it's a silly section but it's a it's a section I found really fun in the original games I was disappointed that wasn't there I'm surprised so many people have been complaining about the laser corridor that was cut because that was such a stupid part of the original game. And that whole section, because that leads into Saddler's throne room, and then there's that hidden lift that, for some reason, takes you underground where you fight the U3, and obviously none of that's there in this game. Again, it was like the castle that got rid of the sillier parts, which didn't really work, and that's what improves it. But the island, yeah, just there was nothing wrong with it, but because I was such a big fan of the original, I I was a bit disappointed by it. Interesting. It's a bit like the section on the ship in Resident Evil 7. A lot of people dislike that, and I think that's probably one of the best atmospheric sections of the whole series. The Annabelle, I think, is great, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of people seem to dislike it. I mean, each to their own, I guess, but yeah. Whereas the village and the castle are probably improved in the remake. The island, I think the original still is just a little bit superior for me. I mean, I would tend to agree. I've never had an issue with the island as well. And and back in the day, it it felt like the island was the closest we had to like a, a classic RE experience in many ways. I do think it's very cleverly remixed in this, but one of the greatest assets that the remake does is that each area is pretty much fully open until you get to a point. And the island's no different. You know, you can backtrack through big sections of the island, and obviously there's little quests and stuff that the merchant gives you. But if you look carefully enough, that original layout is kind of there in places, and all of a sudden you'll be going through an area that you've never played through before, and then you'll open a door and you're like, oh god, this is the room with the stairs. Mm. And that's really cool. It's kind of the stuff that the original remake did, where you would go through a section that is unfamiliar, and then suddenly you go, oh, I know know where I am in the original game now. That's neat. Like, even when you you literally first start on the island and you look at Krauser taking Ashley away, initially you think, oh, it's the same, but it's all different. And then you go underneath some caves 
and you cross a little bridge and it's exactly the same as the original it's just in a different place the island is probably the best example of remixing classic areas from the original i think i just think the flow works and the structure works it, again nothing overstayed as welcome and you just kind of like moves on everything seemed a bit fairer even like the bits where they lock you in and i think in the original they lock you in don't they behind the doors and you've got to face hundreds of them yeah. uh, in the pit you know that's not there mm. quite there anymore you can still go out which is great which means you get a bit more time to strategize you know see where you're at you know where they're firing from you think right if i can dash across there i should be safe from the uh, the gatling gun up there then i'll see if i can get a sniper shot off him mm. i just it gave you just that little bit more more options to think about which i, I personally mm. appreciated honestly nick the, the experience you've described is what i think every resident evil fan dreams of it honestly sounds like you've been through an emotional journey with this game and, and that, i think that's fascinating i think the listeners are going to get a lot out of that i had to note that someone on the capcom dev team has been playing last of us 2 because the and i know rob this will probably land for you the build-up to the regenerators which is excellent in this it must be said is straight out of the rat king stuff in the last of us 2 in the hospital it felt like just in terms of pure build-up uh, you know and the atmospheric noises and the long sort of sterile corridors Mm, there was a bit of a feel to that i feel like that's partly an expansion of the original because of the areas it was in and the way that the sound design was in the original but they've definitely not unnoticed that part as well I would say. they were excellent in this the regenerators i think it was going to be a big thing the game had to get right and they're fucking scary they're so- oh my god someone pointed out and i think it's made the rounds in a few videos and photos is that when you go past the lab there's a room you can see one on a table that eventually comes through a doorway and if you go past the first time while the lights are on the its eyes are shut but once you change the power switch over to the other side if you go back and have a look its eyes are wide open um, just staring at you (laughs) when you equip the bioscope and you're just walking along with that distorted infrared vision it's absolutely terrifying (laughs) is one of the best special effects I've ever seen in a video game. I think the game looks real when you look through that scope. Mm. I liked the fact that they kept basically the same sound because that was an iconic noise. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 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 No, 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 that's it. Um, That's that's even scarier. (laughs) I thought there was one in the room with us. (laughs) I think if my memory serves me well, you get the scope quite early in the original. You trigger one, and then I think you get it. And so I thought I was doing really well, so I triggered one, I escaped from it, and then there's a room, a lab room with a box, and I thought, it's in there, it's in there, I've got the scope, and then I thought, I'm safe. Opened it up, and it was, I don't know, a bar of gold or something. I was like, well, this isn't going to (laughs) help. Am I supposed to buy it now? (laughs) And I was like, well, yeah, no, I I did, because there was a scope you can. I was like, is that the scope? And I was like, and then you don't get the scope for a good amount of time after the regenerators. Yeah, I think you get two regenerator encounters before it gives you it. Yeah. And you think, oh, well, okay, I'll... yes, it, they are killable, but obviously, you know, you want to keep your distance. But you can't keep your distance. They've got, like, bandersnatch abilities, wouldn't they? They just lunge at you 100 miles an hour. They've always had it, but they are much more capable of using it in the remake, that's for sure. I just remember, I remember in, the, in the OG, you could even even on professional, you could run away. You know, you'd turn your back, you do a 180 turn, and they were fucking miles away in the car. Yeah. Whereas I was running on this, and I just happened to just turn around, and it was, it was there. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> this 
<laughs> it was petrifying. I think the biggest groan I gave out was the bit in the lab where they're in the, the stasis tanks and you managed to sort of sneak through without waking any of them up. You reprogram your card and then all of a sudden shitloads of Ganados come in throwing dynamite and you just yes. know they're going to get smashed and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, and they do, and they, and they do get smashed. You go, what are you doing? How long did it take you to work out the wrench puzzle, Nick? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my days. So this is an interesting story in the sense that I was pleased with myself because I managed to get to the status tube bit without being killed. And I left the regenerators just roaming the lab. So I I was feeling quite smug. I thought, done it, got past it. Then, as you say, get to the last bit, we reprogram and it says you need the wrench. And I was like, right. And I was looking around the area, you know, on on the lower levels. There's no wrench. And I was like, where's the wrench? And then it was like, oh, in the, in the files it says one of them has it. I thought, oh, no, no, no. So I'm going to have to go back into the lab, aren't I? Obviously thinking that one of the two that you activate at the beginning has the wrench. So foolishly, well, I say foolishly, I went back in and I, I probably did about three attempts and eventually took out the two regenerators in the lab. And of course, did any of them have the wrench? No, they did not. And I was absolutely furious going, I don't believe it. What a waste of my ammo. They use up so much ammo. You can't always get them with the rifles. You want the other things to stun them, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm so annoyed with myself. And then I thought, oh, it's I bet it's in one of the stasis tubes. Of course it's one in the stasis tube. Makes sense. I'd unnecessarily gone back and wasted ammo. But, and the reversal of fortune it meant i could explore the entire lab unworried untroubled by the regenerators it meant i had a big stock up i got another red herb green herb which trust me on my playthrough is green herbs red herbs were like gold dust got some ammo and most importantly i found another a red gem which meant i could add it to the crown and i suddenly gained a hundred thousand pesetas so it was like oh yes so that changed the game entirely i was able to you know really really upgrade some of my weapons at that point so whilst yes it was a complete waste of time for the story point of view in going back into the labs to get the or not get the wrench as it, as it turned out it proved to be the best decision i ever made in the game and this was the point i i was like i am so into this game now how dare it do this but at the same time i was so pleased it did proper risk reward strategy um for that one and uh yeah ultimate payoff which really helped going forward but yeah the regenerators and then of course they had the cheek to suddenly turn some of them into iron maidens as well because i had that was because I'd read they'd been canned. I, I read somewhere yeah. that they've gone. I thought, okay. And then suddenly... Yeah. It's kind of ace that it's almost... It's, I know it's not a virus, but it, the Iron Maiden is almost like the V-Act for the Regenerator now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Second, like second form. Evil. Evil things they are in this. Mm, brilliant, brilliant. The first time I was not expecting it to explode and splatter like bits of itself everywhere at me. Well, I didn't think about it. And I turned around and was walking back the opposite direction and I was suddenly here and bits pinging off the walls and all of a sudden it was like, ah, ah, ah. and I was like, ah, crap. I do think there is one, I, I don't know whether it was a hardcore thing and I'm sure listeners will be like, oh, he's just bad at games. I did feel one fundamentally broken moment though was Ashley with the lift in the disposal plant, the bridge, where you've got to keep the... Oh, the that was, that it, was it, tough. It just, felt, it just felt broken because I couldn't get round in time. Yeah, you're supposed to shoot through the bars and not get round. I think the idea is that you shoot the first two or three and then you quickly run round and you've got the regenerator behind you, but then usually you 
get around there, you're able to shoot at the another enemy who's coming close, and she's still holding the bridge up. And as long as you time it right, and they don't aren't any round to grab, you can get across. And then the best part is that actually drops the bridge on the enemy as well, which is hilarious. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's so good. I've seen like, drop the regenerator in. Yeah, she, she drops the regenerator in, which is really good. So, yeah, that's how I think it's supposed to work, but it's definitely clunky. It's not the best no, organized. Because the thing is, I got sort of halfway, I got halfway round. I dispatched the first few through the bars, like you say. And then as I got sort of halfway round, another one, I must have just either not killed one fully or another one. Just no, there is more. There is definitely more, yeah. But I couldn't get back in time to get a clear shot, and she was just taken away and i just thought well, that's 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 fucking harsh that is what i did took many many attempts and I, was, I got very jammy in the end but yeah you take out the ones with the bars and then if you move to another point where she is but by the bars you can shoot all the ones that then run out to a point where no more ganados come and you haven't triggered the regenerator yet so you get a pause point you then trigger the regenerator i then take out the regenerator and you've got then time to then run around and I tried this a few times and then I can't believe how jammy I got because I, I took out the regenerator and then I was shooting and I had no sniper rifle ammo because I was trying to get it, you know, get it through the bars. I was just firing aimlessly into, you know, into the distance and hoping it works before it triggered the scene with her being taken away. And I think it got within a foot of the door. <laughs> Because she suddenly became incapacitated, I thought that's it. I'm done. I don't know what I don't know what's happened. But it's because he he dropped her, and I might have shot her. I don't know. But by the time she regained herself and came back, did the bridge, and then I went back. The the kind of like the dropped ammo or whatever, whatever that Ganado dropped, it was about a foot away from the door that it would have gone. And I thought, fucking hell, that was ridiculously close. So much I, I didn't even see the Ganado die. It was so off screen. I thought, I was, oh, not again. I, I don't know how I did it. And I, again, it was one of those real good fist pump moments. It's the first time it's come up, but what was people's opinion on the incapacitated mechanic versus Ashley having a health bar? The number of times Ashley was accidentally killed with a submachine gun was... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going with that. I found it more annoying. It was kind of that same thing we were talking about with the stun lock kind of thing. If it just so happened that two enemies were going towards Ashley at the same time, sometimes one of them could hit her and then the other one would immediately kill her or grab her and it was kind of... Yeah, slightly annoying. That was basically my main annoyance with it. I did find I struggled early on. I mean, even even throughout most of my initial run with the loose and tight mechanics. Because tight, I assumed, would be very similar to the original game where Ashley is basically bolted to your shoulder mm. and she will always be there all the time and you don't have to worry about it. Mm. The amount of times I would put her in tight formation to stay close and then just run and then look back and she's fucking miles behind. The reason being is that whenever the enemies come in or you fire a weapon, she ducks and crouches to the ground and it takes her a while to get back up. Like She yeah. kind of ducks under and then she doesn't move very fast. She catches up really fast once she's on her way. Like You actually it's kind of i think the game cheats it a little bit she like has super speed but it's sometimes only sometimes and not other times no, i've had it even when i've just been running around there's no enemies and i've gone a particular way and all of a sudden i get leon where are you going <laughs> or like leon hurry, wait up for me or something where i've just somehow gotten away from her and i'm like i have no idea how that happened like <laughs> 
What about you, John? How did you find the part of the game and the the, the general use of the regenerators and the Iron Maidens? Yeah, I thought it was uh, very effective for the most part. It, that section with the bridge you mentioned before. Yeah, I shot the Ganados through the bars, and then when the regenerator came, I shot its legs off because I didn't have enough bullets to take out all the parasites. So I shot its legs off, thinking I could get round in time. And just as I got towards the bridge, Ashley was getting carried off by another Ganado. Managed to shoot it. She came back. She started to raise the bridge. I was just literally waiting for it to get up so I could cross. And the fucking regenerator's right there, isn't he? <laughs> um, but yeah, very effective. The Iron Maidens, a bit like yourself, I thought they'd potentially been cut. So it was a nice twist with them as well. But I, w- I was just very happy that they were pretty much the same as the original and just as effective and just as scary because, you know, they were definitely probably the most memorable enemy from the original game. So it was nice to see they weren't dumbed down in this because after seeing how the Navista doors were sort of turned into, you know, just cannon fodder, you know, they were really, really easy to kill. I was a bit worried about some of the later BOWs, but um, no, the Regenerators and the Iron Maidens were, were just as good as the originals. I just wanted to point this out, that the game is the corrected translation too. They're Regenerators in this not regenerators yes yes yeah it was an interesting see they had fixed that mistake from the original and whilst we're talking about the regenerators the end laboratory section very small the laboratory it's like a morgue slash cadaver room yes i think everyone knows where where i'm going (laughs) again Capcom can just do this. They just make, you know, real great set pieces. And this has to be, for me, one of the greatest set pieces. It's so small, but my God, is it scary. And as I said, my my strategy for it was, again, pure by accident. So you don't know what's going. You go in it, you know, you turn the wheel, go into the room, you start exploring, and, you know, you work out, oh, I need to turn that wheel to get to that room. And at some point, you'll trigger the regenerator falling out of a body bag, and you think, oh, oh, blimey. Then there's two, and then suddenly you're like, oh, hell no. I know Sean did as well, but we lost ammo like it was going out of fashion at that point, and it is really hard. It's really tough. And I think one even becomes an Iron Maiden as well. It certainly did. I don't know if it's random. Mm. And I just did not have enough rifle ammo. So I had no idea how I was going to do this and inevitably died. So I thought, all right, okay. So I tried again from the checkpoint. And it was at that point, as I was running into the room, I knocked another one of the body bags. This is before you got into that little, you know, the kind of like the cell section. And out came a regenerator. And I thought, oh, did I do that? Are all of them potentially knockable? in that sense, because I assumed that it was all, you know, there's always going to be two in this area. So that one knocked out and I thought, oh, so I let it kill me and I'd reset. And this time I went into the room, I avoided the body bag and then went into the main room again and I just crouched the whole way. And I've never moved so slowly in an entire game, (laughs) sneaking around the body bags, you know, and then trying not to knock over the barrels particularly because one of them obviously has a snake in it at the last minute. You're like, thanks very much for that. Don't need that. And then going around the corner, uh, avoiding as many body bags. Some then start to shuffle like, shit, shit, shit. And then you get to the wheel, turn the wheel, and then, and then, and then making it. And then genuinely was one of the most intense moments without one bullet being fired 
it was absolutely brilliant and I can't believe I even made it but you can do it without triggering any regenerators and I, I don't know how it was a proper Indiana Jones moment at the end as the door fell down I thought I'm not going to make it I'm not going to make it I was like run 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 and then I was just hoping I was going to get the a kind of you know trigger to be able to get through it and he, he made it through the skin of his teeth again a proper fist pump moment because you could just hear them going you know making their funny noise you know whatnot behind the door and I'm sitting again <laughs> I honestly didn't think it was possible to not trigger one to get to that switch. Mm. So I was very impressed to hear this. And then I know John said the same thing, that he'd managed to do the same thing. Genuinely, and I I say this completely truthfully, a series highlight for me. And for such a small area, for one one singular room, because that's all we're dealing with, really. A series highlight for intensity, I think is the best word to describe it. Absolutely brilliant. It's almost like you don't have to do it that way. As I said, you can go in, you know, if you've got the ammo, it's probably not as difficult. But if you haven't got the ammo like I had because of my, my unique circumstances of playing, I think the game would have ended for me at that point had I not been able to sneak through i just didn't have the ammo or certainly not the rifle ammo to be able to to do it so great moment great moment you've done well to make it this far rookie i've prepared a battlefield up ahead just for us soldiers watered by the blood of generations hundreds of years it's the perfect place to put an end to what happened two years ago right krauser how did everyone find the reimagined Krauser fight? I, again, found it a little bit more believable than the new game. We didn't really get any drones, Wesker drones, or anything like that much in this one. Just a, just a couple of bombs and lasers. And... Mm. The first knife fight for me was a little bit touch and go at first until I kind of understood the mechanics of where they were going with it. And then I kind of struggled with the boss fight the second time around at first until, again... I did... I don't know if it's like the others. It's very, there's more to it, but it also kind of makes it a little bit more obtuse at first until you realize what's going on. Like, there's a trip, I swear there's a trip wire I couldn't blow up, and I still can't figure out how, without like hitting it with something, I still don't know how I could stop that trip wire that's like hidden behind a rock. And then, as we talked about, there's the hidden traps on the ground when you're trying to aim yeah and then there's bits where like it feels a little bit cheap like if you run close to the the inch like when he's up on the tower and you're hiding behind those things and he's firing the explosive darts at you and then he decides to throw some grenades at you it sometimes comes down to just a bit of dumb luck as to how close you are if you can evade them because they pretty much hit the ground and explode straight away it's kind of yeah it's not very well balanced, I feel. I actually thought it was the hardest boss fight in the game. Mm. Uh, certainly the second one made that as a bit underwhelming because I, I, I did think it was challenging and, you know, it was a long fight really, wasn't it? Certainly the second one over multiple kind of checkpoints and things like that. And um, But yeah, what do you think, Bats? I thought it was fine. The, the only disappointment I had about the Krauser fight was just the location itself. There was nothing wrong with it. But I just think the ruins where that fight takes place in the original game are just so beautiful. You know, it's right on the coastline. There's like this ambient wind in the background and it's all lit up by torches. And You know, it set the stage perfectly. And I'm always sort of on edge on that fight because he moves so fast. And I know the remake, it's very similar. I don't know if it's just the improved controls or what, but I just found it a lot easier than the original. The first fight with the knife, yeah, that was really well done. I think it was a good idea to move that fight forward and have it in the 
Castle. Krauser is a character I know we'll get on to later on. The only discrepancy I have with the new law as well is his mutation, because as we all know, dominant Plaga holders can have these unique mutations that they can trigger at will, and obviously his mutation here is the same as the original game. In fact, it's actually both his arms this time. Was it both his arms in the first one, or was it just one arm? I can't remember. No, just the one. Yeah. That surprised me. Yeah. But... As we all know, later on in the game, it turns out he doesn't have a dominant Plaga at all. Only Sadler has one. And the only other variant of Plaga mentioned is this superior species, which again is clarified in a file that there's no different to a subordinate Plaga other than it allows the holder to keep their own conscience, which is fine. So how are these bosses triggering these mutations? That's a bit of a plot hole as things stand. So I'm hoping separate ways might elaborate on that a little bit. But yeah, the fight itself, it was fine. Um, as I said, I think just the location in the original is just slightly better. Sean, what about you? What did you think of Krause's new take? I actually quite liked all the additional dialogue and conversations between him and Leon. I actually think it helps. I think it benefits both characters for where they are in the remake, although I'm dubious of changes to... Operation Javier. It's just a typical thing for Capcom to do, isn't it? They throw in Operation Javier and the the sort of law-driven community triumphantly punches their hands in the air and goes, yes! And then within like two minutes, it establishes that Operation Javier is very different from the the law we see in Darkseid Chronicles. And then you go, "Ah." (laughs) literally two minutes later. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I've been a big supporter of the parry mechanic, so the knife fight I thought was excellently reinterpreted for this release. The fight itself I struggled with quite a lot on Hardcore until I unleashed the EX upgraded Killer 7 on him and killed him in 7 shots. It completely removed any um, danger or any fear of that boss. Uh, In terms of him as a character, I think he's realised reasonably well. I know a lot of people are mourning the, the lack of Jim Ward, but I don't like to compare voice actors' performances too much because I think they're trying to do something different with these interpretations of characters. And, and I think the new voice actor was perfectly serviceable for the character. And, and in, in many ways, um, I actually think, despite preferences to the OG, I actually think this Krauser is probably a better version of that character because there's just more there. They go to the effort of actually explaining a backstory where in RE4, you're, it's just like, oh, we've been a long time. You're like, has it? <laughs> you know, you have no idea who this character is, or at least in this, you get him in the opening credits, you know, the opening sequence, and you get a little bit of, you know, you know there's a lot more dialogue, as you say, about Operation Javier and what unfolds. What I was surprised about was how effective, like, just weaponry was on him, because if I remember correctly, a lot of the time he would guard, you know, his arms would guard against gunfire, so you almost had to use the knife uh, in the second fight as well as the first one. Whereas this time, you, you could actually fire you know, quite effectively against him with shotguns and whatnot. Um, no, you, so you're right. He would put his arm up and use it like a shield. Mm. The other thing that... I mean, it's there, but I don't feel like the height thing plays in as much as it did in the original. It's not like you can't be knocked off the side or whatever, but it felt like it was always a, an actual threat. Like, there was times where he could completely boot you right off the side, and that's kind of not really the same in the new one. Yeah, no, that's true. It also loses its sense of urgency because you don't have the um, the countdown to the whole countdown, place blowing yeah. up in this one either. Mm. Well, that moves us nicely then, actually, because we've started talking about some of the characterizations. We can talk about then perhaps the character of Sadler, which will be a, a kind of nice way of tying up the end sequence and him. Because realistically, that's the only time we really see him in the, in the kind of like end of the island bit where we are really introduced to his power and just being able to control Ashley with relative ease. And we, we meet his disciple, white cloaked 
people, which kind of follow him around, and um, you know, you're kind of introduced to that element and how the Plaga works, I suppose, in that sense. And you know, he's very different than Sadler. He's quite jovial, I suppose, in the original game. You know, oh, you foolish America. You know, you kind of you don't quite get that anymore. Now it's all deadly serious. You know, it's all very very religious in that sense, isn't it? It's all like, well, you know, you have rejected the holy body or that kind of thing. He he's very into the cult more so than mm. than perhaps I I ever got the impression he was with four. I always felt that he just using it as a tool to get what he wanted. Whereas this, I felt he was devout himself. I that all ties in with his family history now, which you know, it he does. Yeah, so that's nice. History on the island and everything. Yes, that, that's true. That was quite nice. And then I really, really liked that kind of end kind of sequence, the sanctuary, as they called it, which works, as I said, aesthetically, it works really well. He's like, this is the holy part, and you've got the history of the Los Illuminados. They are founded on the island. So it 100% makes sense as to why you've got this sacred area and why, when they discover the Plagas, you've got this lab, which is probably the first lab, which becomes Lewis's lab. But as I said at the beginning of the podcast, it felt weird that, why is there a lab here? But you go, actually, no, it does. It works. It works from that point of view. The whole build-up was great. It was in the room with the Amber, uh, when you do see Sadler and his disciples, that it, it hit me at something like chapter 14 away in at the time. They've reworked the initial cutscene with Sadler that happens in the church right at the beginning of the original game. Yes. They've moved it right to the end of this game. And it just goes into what I've said before about how lessen the presence of these villains is in this game. I don't think it's massively a problem, but Sadler's established far earlier in the OG than he is in this. Yes, he almost suffers a similar fate to Miranda in Village. You never see Miranda until yeah. right to the end. It's like, oh, I'm the baddie. Are you? Okay. <laughs> they have a bad habit of doing this. It reminded me a bit of Resident Evil 5, where they don't introduce Wesker till chapter 5-3, you know, pretty much right at the end of the game. I do think Sadler suffers a little bit because we don't have any proper interaction with him till so late on the game. But then I think what adds to his character is the fact we get so much more history about the cult itself and Sadler's ancestors on the island and this whole doctrine of the Los Illuminados. I think that aided his character a lot. With Salazar, he's almost like looking up to Sadler, isn't he? Oh, tell him I've done well or something. You know, he's almost like looking for that kind of uh, adulation, if you like, from Sadler. So he's almost like this kind of mythical being, even within the own ranks. But yeah, it was quite interesting. And of course, we do get the boss fight that we aren't privy to which is straight out of kind of separate ways, isn't it? So I, I with Ada, so I suspect that's going to come back as well. And then that, of course, leads into the final boss fight. As I said, after Krauser, I, I thought it was a bit of a cakewalk, really. I didn't think it was particularly challenging. It wasn't that much different. The mutation was quite similar. Still the same sort of thing with the kind of resting eye thing and stabbing that, you know, then aiming for the individual eye things on the legs. I would say it's underwhelming. But after the great boss fight that was Salazar, they could have perhaps done something a little bit different, maybe. Uh, I think the original Sadler battle far supersedes the one in the remake. Just because you can do more and make it more epic, or, you know, grander, bigger, doesn't necessarily make it better. And I think the Sadler fight in the original is one of my all-time favourite endgame RE boss fights. I think it's a really well-conjured set piece. And the remakes is fine... I didn't appreciate the addition of the novice doors. I no. just I generally don't like it when bosses have enemies supporting them, but I think they've added them in as a resource gatherer. 
because they drop a lot of gunpowder and things like that. found the soundtrack was weaker, and I really thought they were going to remix it, because when, when the fight starts, Ada's stood side by your side, and I thought, oh, they're going to do something really cool here, and they're going to have Ada fight side by side with you, actually, in the boss fight itself, and it's going to be a really very cleverly remixed version of the classic fight. And then she just disappears, as she did in the original. And I found that was disappointing. And I just I felt like in the original, just the way it played out in the original, in the rain, with the massive soundtrack playing, the fact that you could use some of, some of the environment. To my knowledge, you can't like swing in the girders this time and knock him down. He's a bit bullet spongy this time. Takes a lot of abuse. Yeah, yeah. I just felt it was needlessly prolonged for what it was. And then you get the additional bit now where I thought, if I die here, I'm going to quit the game, honestly. The bit with the tentacles smashing down and you're locked in place. I thought, if I fuck this up, I'm I'm just going to put the controller down and give it up for the evening. Because at this point, it was like like quarter to two in the morning. And I thought, I'm I'm going to be dead for work if I don't get this done now. And uh, yeah... I think it's fine, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased the design was faithful, but gosh, isn't it strange to see Spider Salazar so close to, to Spider Miranda? Mm, similar. Rob, what did you think of the final Stadler encounter? It was a bit underwhelming, to be sure. I don't think I enjoyed it that much compared to the original. I mean, I like the layout, minus the beams being able to be hidden and everything, but yeah. While we're just talking about Stadler, I was reading an interview with... Um, sorry, it wasn't an interview, it was... Um, it was Nick's stream uh, that he did the other day with the RE4 cast, and they had the, the chap who plays Sadler on there. And they asked him what his inspiration was for the remake version of Sadler. And he said it was Palpatine from Star Wars. And I thought that was really interesting, because when you actually like break it down, he is quite similar in sort of tone and how he speaks to what we then see Spencer in RE5. And I, I think this is one of the reasons why I find Sadler a little bit underwhelming in the remake, because he is just kind of like Palpatine. I don't enjoy his character as much in this, but I appreciate that comes at the expense of him having to be, like I said earlier, a pantomime villain in the original, because he is he's kind of a joke in the original. Whereas I would certainly say you get the intimidating menace in this. Can anyone explain what his honeycomb head is all about, though, please? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's weird, that. Very weird. He just looks like a normal Ganado, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, weird, weird. I think what they've done with the way the Plaga is discovered in like fossilised amber, I think they missed a trick when they introduced him that he didn't have a cane with a little Plaga wrapped in amber on the end of it. To me, I feel like we've come full circle on these podcasts because obviously we started our remake journey yeah. um, with Resident Evil 2 with the Jurassic Park skit. So and now we've got um, Plaga found in amber. It's just like, I think we ought to uh, claim for some royalties here. Welcome to my island, spared no expense. <laughs> If he said that, I'd have died. (laughs) Right, someone we haven't spoken about at all, Ada, Ada Wong. And there's been a bit of, sadly, uh, has to be said, um, a bit of backlash against the voice actress. Dare she have the audacity to not be Sally Cahill? Although I think that's probably her parents' fault more than hers. But obviously, because I was aware of a a, a point of issue, people found it objectionable. I I checked out some of the cutscenes involving Ada Wong. And to me, it reminds me very much of when Michelle Ruff was specifically directed by the voice director to voice Jill Valentine as very stoic, you know, when when Michelle Ruff was Jill in uh, Revelations. I thought that her performance was absolutely fine. It sounds to me like she was very much directed to give that kind of sort of cold, almost unemotional cadence. And, you know, if you actually break down the character of Ada Wong as she presents herself in the series i thought i thought the voice actually contextually works well i i didn't have a problem with it at all yeah i mean 
It's a difficult one because, being brutally honest, do I think this is the finest representation of Ada we've had in the series? No, I don't. But I don't blame Lily Gow for that one bit. You know, you have to appreciate that Sally Carhill's performance as Ada is not only big shoes to fill, she's an iconic character in terms of her design and everything in the original RE4. Yeah, I know she's not in the campaign that much and she's actually in it a little bit extra in this one. She actually has a couple of extra scenes in addition to her original appearance. But this is a dramatically reimagined version of the character and that's more in keeping with what you know where she was in the second game. So to blame all of these issues on the voice actress that plays her is wrong. The problems with Ada come from more of a writing and you know story development point of view I have in this one. But I had the same issues with Ada in the re- the second remake. I found her you know a dramatically different character to who she was in the original RE2. I don't blame the voice actors for this. They're just doing a job. I've actually quoted your interview with Michelle Ruff a few times GT because hearing Michelle Ruff on your in your interview she's a very bubbly and very infectious sort of personality and that none of that comes through when you hear a performance as Jill and if anyone saw like Lily on Nick's stream the other night she's lovely and absolutely not at all to blame and yeah I'm disappointed I'm, I'm disappointed in so many people I would but agree. it's not the first time we've had to address this shit mm. on the podcast is it yeah I would agree. I mean, even before all this controversy came to light, when I played the game, I didn't think there was anything necessarily wrong with the performance of Ada. It's just the character's written all wrong. It's very much a believable uh, extension of the character that was introduced in Remake 2, and Ada Wong is probably the biggest element of these remakes that Capcom have really misjudged, I think. I would say Ada in the original Resident Evil 4 is probably the definitive performance. When you look at her scenes in that game... She is so mysterious and she has that playfulness about her and there's just none of that present in Remake 4. She's very dull, she seems bored and again this is not Lily Gao, this is just the writing. What to me is the weird dichotomy between that is that she still does some things that the OG version does and I think that's what really throws you off like when she gets to the island and ditches Leon and the way she does it, it's supposed to be in a playful nature but the way that it's performed, the way it's been directed, the way the character's been written doesn't gel with the playful nature that she's portraying and those things just kind of clash Yeah. and so again it's not her it's not how she's voicing the character it's how the character has been asked to be performed and expected to be and then they put her in these situations where she continues to act like the original and it's kind of like well hang on these things don't match up it would be like leon spouting off endless ridiculous catchphrases the entire time through the game to almost make up for the fact he did it a few times in the original and now he does it all the time even though the tone is all over the place you'd be saying the same thing about his performance if that was the case yeah you'd just be like what's going on here it seems to me from the opening scene that i saw with her interaction with louise it seemed to be like a very overly serious take on the character and maybe that's where the sound direction comes from and that's what we mean it's it's exactly that but then her character still portrays this idea of playfulness occasionally which doesn't fit with the tone that she speaks and that's a directional thing the final bit with um you know where uh, leon rescues ashley and they try and make their escape and ada turns up with a tmp or whatever and starts blasting the place to bits actually has a little bolted on extended moment no, sorry. It's actually it's on it's on the construction tower um, when Sadler manages to sort of start choking Leon. And this more grounded take of Ada 
this more way serious tone that they've given her completely threw me when she basically Spider-Maned Sadler with a hook shot because all of a sudden I'm seeing the Ada we're used to mm. and it, the, the two just don't juxtapose well because one minute yeah. you've got grounded, very serious spy and then you've got acrobatic Spider-Man style, you know, it, it seems strange that they've kind of lent into both and sort of achieved neither. I'm at a loss to describe how they've how clumsy and i'm not just saying this game i did not like what they did with ada in remake 2 someone who who has ada as one of their favorite characters in the entire series i love this character so much and i think in her two remake appearances they've really fumbled it i remember you talking about ada god it'll be over 10 years ago now i think when we did the resident evil 6 review and (laughs) you said then it was clear capcom really didn't know what to do with Ada. And that, yeah. is, that is more apparent more now than ever, I think. I mean, if you look at her role across the whole series, she's one of the, the most intelligent, most mysterious characters out of everybody. And in Resident Evil 4, probably one of the most developed plot points was this whole intrigue between her and Wesker about how she had this mysterious ultimate objective and how she had to work with Wesker to get her close to that. And there was this whole thing of securing the Plaga to prove a loyalty to either the organisation or Wesker. You know, it was all, even though we were only fed, drip fed little pieces, it all hinted towards this big cloak and dagger game of espionage. Where in, in this, from what we've got so far, it's been completely dumbed down to the point that Ada doesn't even know what Wesker wants the Plaga for. She has to ask him at the end, oh, what are you going to use this for? Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to take it to take over the world. And she's like, oh, we're talking millions of casualties. Oh, well, in that case, you're not going to have it then. You know, it just, it, it sounded really, really poor compared to what we had before. I think as well, like, if I could ask our audience, and I, and I appreciate, you know, we're probably speaking to people who weren't even born when the original Lottery 4 came out in some ways. It's, it's frightening to think of, really. But if you could rewind your brains back to circa 2004, when we were in the run-up to this game, and Ada's appearance was hugely exciting because this was the first time she's been in anything since Resident Evil 2. So it's massive, massive thing. We knew nothing about her in Resident Evil 2, so this was our chance to learn some answers. And all the way through the game, her appearance is laden in mystery. You know, she comes and goes as quick as she appears, you know. And by the end of the game, even with like the assignment Ada Wesker Bolton that they added at that point, you didn't really know the story behind the woman. And then separate ways came along and you just you just lifting the veil a little bit, but you're still not getting a lot. And we stayed like that for years. Now they're still playing this big Ada mystery routine many many years after they've done it initially and it just frustrates more than it excites I I feel now you know we're 11 years past the game that should have given us all the answers so Ada sort of coming and going in between scenes in the 4 remake and still not giving any answers is just it's just more of an irritation the character infuriates more than she excites I think now and that's where the remakes are getting this all wrong because they're just playing the same beats that we, as a as an older fandom, and I appreciate we are old compared to a lot of you listening, you know, but we went through all this in the late 90s and the 2000s. And so to still not get answers on the second time round is just, it's nonsense to me. It's just a, it's just a colossal waste of time. 
Yeah, I think separate ways will have a lot to live up to when it eventually does come out for this. Especially, you know, because Capcom have now said, you know, this is an alternate continuity. This is really Capcom's chance to really dive deep into her character and and tell us, you know, what's the deal with her. It has to, because like you said, if it doesn't, it's just going to leave us all pissed off and and frustrated. And it's not helping a character that's been, you know, written poorly and, and given a big disservice in the two remake games she's featured in so far. She's becoming quite an unlikable character. Yes, and I think that's the concern. As you said, the, the writing did not help Lily Gale's performance at all for anyone to, you know, really get that more of an understanding. It's a shame. It's a shame because what a cool moment for her to play live action Ada in Welcome to Raccoon City and then bring it into the video games. I don't think that's ever been done. Sally Cahill ironically did it the other way, but there we go. It is the- worth just taking a point as well to just condemn the abuse she's received. Oh, 100%. Yeah, we, we didn't really touch upon it too much, but, you know, if anyone who, who does that kind of shit listens to the podcast, I invite you to kindly go somewhere else because we don't want you as listeners, to be quite frank. Absolutely. No. Yeah, if you don't like something, fair enough, but don't don't take it out on the, you know, someone just doing a job. Hey, got a smoke? I do, the kind you like. Now where's the amber? Fortunately, it's not on me at the moment. And you really should be telling me what a good job I did. Busted my ass and managed to hide it right before I got caught. Which is why I'm still alive. The deal was, we get you out of here when you deliver the amber. No amber, no protection, Luis. Such a stickler for details, Hyde. On the flip side, in terms of characters that did get a bit more fleshing out, we had Lewis. And I was pleased with the way that he was portrayed. He was certainly a, a more likeable character and he uh, he, di- he didn't get a lot of screen time actually in the in the original but here he, he does get a bit more and plays a really important role actually in, for the the in-game storyline in how to uh you know to save the day in the end and i like the fact that Ashley in particular makes that point you know Lewis did all this you know in a kind of like nice roundabout way and it made Leon's adventure feel a bit more wholesome i liked the the lore addition of him being uh, a former Umbrella employee, and again we get a nice little law room, don't we, John? We love these law rooms; they just they just mm. keep crop, cropping up. <laughs> um, we do. Essentially, <laughs> highlight that they're just so bad at working this shit into the main, you know, main <laughs> game that they just all have to just do a big law dump at the end now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's welcome. I think Lewis in every way is better than the OG. There you go. He's been given the full Carlos treatment, hasn't he? Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, not only did he get a new surname, he got a, more of a backstory just to uh, just to add to him. And yes, part of the the, the Nemesis team, which was uh, well, I mean, if if that's not a callback to the uh, forum days of um, Plaga theories, I, I don't know what is. Yeah, this must have been a bullet dodge for you. Cause... I mean, it's easy to say now after the fact, but I, I did. I predicted that this interview with the RE3 director, where he said, "Yeah, Nemesis is based on Las Plagas." I just, I just didn't believe it, even though it came from a pretty authoritative source. I just thought, well, that just doesn't make sense in any kind of capacity because it would change so much of the background law. And I must admit, when you first find out from Hunnigan that um, Luis was a former Umbrella researcher, I thought, oh, God. But in credit to Capcom, you know, they didn't let that overshadow his character. 
you know it, it was it was kept largely in the background and and what they actually did with him to tie him to the the nemesis law was quite good because it doesn't change anything it doesn't affect anything there is no retcons the nemesis has absolutely nothing to do with las plagas all it, it means is Lewis worked with Umbrella Europe at the sixth laboratory in France whilst the Nemesis project was ongoing, whilst they were exploring and creating artificial parasites to try and improve the tyrant's control system. And all that's happened is when Lewis has left Umbrella, he's taken that knowledge and applied it to the Plaga research. So it's kind of the other way around from what we all feared was going to happen. And it was a nice way to tie him into the established law without changing anything and without causing any retcons. So, you know, bravo Capcom on that respect. I thought it was really cool. It gives him a great arc as well now because he's on a quest for redemption, really. Mm. You know, he's not, he's not just a cop from Madrid or whatever. He's actually someone with a conscience who appreciates the stuff he did before was kind of nefarious and not good. And this is his chance. It works. Works really well. Mm. I was just going to question how much he knew. The files kind of suggest that these Plagas experiments were going on for a long, long time. He knew what he was doing with the Nemesis program. He knew the you know, the unethical nature. And he must have been present when things like the El Gigante and the Garadors were being created. And I wasn't 100% convinced that he was looking for redemption. Well, I, th- I-, I think it was that sort of thing that's made him sort of realise... Oh, you know, this is a bit dodgy, this work. There's a file, I can't remember the name of the file now, where it talks about one of the regenerators escaping. And the researcher who writes the file talks about one of his colleagues saying, oh, we shouldn't be doing this, it's dangerous. And it doesn't actually mention who it is, but it's clear to me anyway that it's Luis. I never linked that. Yeah, that's good. Read that file. Yeah. It's when he discovers the amber and the potential of the amber that he realises, you know, just how dangerous Sadler's plan is. And he has a bit of a moral dilemma, doesn't he? He says in his journal that, well, you know, if everyone does get taken over by the Plaga, is it a bad thing? Because it'll it'll get rid of, you know, global conflicts and everyone will be on the same page and then he thinks, well, hang on, no one will have any free will. And you can tell he's having a little moral battle with himself. So it's explained a lot better than it is in the original, because in the original, we just don't know anything about him. And you obviously have the whole backstory with his grandfather as well, which was a nice little tie-in. So yeah, I just think his, his character's improved 100%. Yeah, and as you rightly called out last time, his departure, which we now know, uh, you know, it, it was revealed in that trailer if you looked hard enough, but his departure is at the hands of Krauser. Mm. which is so much better. Yeah. And it also makes Krauser more of a tangible threat now. As well, it, it benefits two characters because his death in the original was just a bit of a joke, he, even from Sadler's point of view. You know, it was just nonsense how Sadler d- dispatched him, yeah, um, with his appendage. It's yeah. safe to say. Whereas Krauser knifing him in the back is is brutal. It's cold, especially when you've just bonded over a minecart chase. Yeah, as, as you do, as you do. It's uh, it's all round there. That's an area where the remake just runs away with it. It just takes, it just picks up the baton from the original game and just runs away with it. Mm. No, that's really good. Really appreciated that. Going back to Krauser briefly, I think Krauser was the only. The whole Operation Javier thing is exactly what I meant during the introduction when I said that some changes that are just baffling that just make no sense. I cannot understand why they did this. 
uh, again, I, I sort of suspected they might drop the whole Wesker wants to revive Umbrella thing simply because it doesn't go anywhere in the original law. So I wasn't surprised to find that was the case. Um, but why change Krause's backstory? I don't understand why the retconned Operation Javier. I don't really understand how it's meant to improve his character because the power he goes on about. At first, I thought he was still talking about the T. Veronica virus, but it's actually he's actually talking about the power and the audacity of the U.S. government to wipe out their own men that's the power he's talking about and he doesn't seem to be affiliated with Wesker or Ada at all now he seems completely devoted to the cult and I just find it such a bizarre change because it was a really intriguing plot point in the original and it was obviously fleshed out so well with Operation Javier and Darkside Chronicles so I really don't understand why they changed this at all it, it doesn't benefit his character at all I'd really like to understand the reasoning behind that creative choice because it's just utterly baffling to me I got the impression that this version of Operation Javier didn't include B.O.W.s in the slightest. Well, yeah, it's, it's peddled as like just an operation to, to remove South American drug cartels, doesn't it? Yeah. Why that would entail the US government massacring their own men, I don't know. Yeah, it's just utterly bizarre because everything about Krauser was explained. You know, his injury was explained. Leon even mentions his injury in dialogue in this, which is even more bizarre. But yeah, it explained... You know, he's fracturing his relationship with Leon. That doesn't make sense anymore because if Krauser's been training Leon for the last three years, then Krauser would obviously know that Leon works for this secret military agency and he gets his orders off the president. But it was because he didn't know that in Operation Javier. That's what pissed him off. That's what made him turn against Leon because he, he, he couldn't understand why Leon was getting this special treatment when Krauser was the more formidable soldier. So that's all out the window now. It explained the power he wanted was because he'd seen what the T. Veronica virus could do. That's why he faked his death and sought out Wesker. You know, it was it was all explained and I just can't understand why they've seemingly got rid of it all. There's a chance separate ways might reveal something different, but from what we know so far, it, it just doesn't seem, you know, that Ada and Krauser and Wesker know each other at all. It's, it's just utterly bizarre. I just... I can't fathom why they've done it. Yeah, it is It is a mystery. And there is some people saying, oh, let's make Operation Javier the DLC, so we'll, we'll have to see. I think finally, in terms of characters, it might be worth discussing the main character, <laughs> Leon, who um, I think is very well performed by uh, Nick. He brings his certainly his remake to style with a bit more professionalism, as you would expect from someone now in the role of the president. And I think Sean, you mentioned I think you've mentioned before that it's actually ironically a bit more closer to the degeneration Leon that we yeah. see. I think if you look back through the canon timeline um, that we know, the prime timeline, whatever you want to call it, um, after the events of Resident Evil Four, we obviously go on to degeneration and then Infinite Darkness. Am I right? Yes. The Leon we encounter in Degeneration as we tore him to shreds on our commentary is very stoic, very no-nonsense. It has no time for wisecracks. So if you do like a, a canon playthrough of the series and incorporate the movies, Resident Evil 4, classic o OG4, is very jarring in terms of him with his no-thanks bro and very light-humoured, wise-cracking secret agent that he is. This character ties in way more with the Leon we know of the future, and Nick plays him very well. The only thing I'm a little bit disappointed in, and again, nothing to do with Nick, it's not a factor that I'm bringing into this, it's all down to the writing. And I know Leon didn't go on an arc as such in the original, but with the way the trailers were building up all this 
post-Raccoon PTSD. I was really hoping he was going to go on some sort of a journey in this game. And, you know, and I'd called out a few things, and I never get these predictions right. I put these big outlandish predictions in there, and they never come true. And I was... You know, thinking that, like, oh, you know, he's got Marvin's knife still. So is there, a, you know, and the knife's breaking this. So is there going to be a moment where his knife breaks and he looks down at it and he thinks, oh, you know, that's the Leon of, of the past that's dead now. And I've now got to embrace, like, Krauser's knife and this more harder lifestyle. And, you know, I've seen horrors and I've had to overcome them. And the problem with Remake 4's Leon is there's none of that. He just kind of starts crestfallen and beaten and he kind of ends it that way as well. And there's no change. And Capcom seemed to be afraid to sort of really explore the nature of PTSD because well, I thought we were going to get this with Jill in Remake 3 as well. You know, the opening to Remake 3 is quite striking, quite strong when she looks in the mirror and she, you know, she shoots herself and, she, you know, she doesn't. So you realise she's just having like, you know, night terrors and things. And then by the time Nemesis has crashed through the wall, she's just super cop Jill for the rest of the game. Like, the PTSD angle's not even factored in. And I kind of felt the same here. Like, the introduction builds up that Leon is very contemplative uh, and he's very haunted by the events of Raccoon. And then by the time he's, you know, roundhousing and shooting villagers, there's just none of that again. And it's a shame, because I felt there's scope for it now. Mm, I think you've got some really good ideas there. Um, and like you say, Capcom, they just seem reluctant to run with them for some reason. It's like they just want to rely on Leon's penchant for action, you know, and these ridiculous set pieces he goes through on the films. Capcom seem to want to think that's how fans remember Leon for the crazy action he does rather than the smaller character moments. I, th- I do think Capcom underestimate just how popular these characters are with people. Mm. And they've, yeah. they've never really explored any of them in any great depth. Like you say, they've they've touched the surface with a few of them, but you know they could definitely go a lot deeper. Yeah, it's like it's like when you look at Chris's PTSD in RE6, it's all but done away with by his third chapter, and you know you just see this you see this trope running through the series. Mm. Um, I do like the fact that this Leon is way more no nonsense you talked about it earlier that he, he doesn't even entertain Salazar just fucking shoots him and then he does the same with Sadler later yeah he's just interested which is which is a good a good way to run with this character I uh, feel listening to you that, that maybe Capcom even underestimates us as an audience in terms of we demand and 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 you're right it's almost just on quite a simplistic action level that um you know plays very well with the japanese audiences when we we look at the cgi films and and we've been concerned with what we've seen in in those Mm. with the ridiculous over-the-top action and it sounds like that's what we're getting in terms of just one-dimensional action orientated you know captain america characters and yeah, I, listening to Sean, that's an incredible idea in terms of Leon, his past being exemplified in, in the knife. And that's fantastic. I wish we had a writer of that standard in, the, in, in Capcom's writing room. Because I think, yes, as an audience, as, as fans, we would like to see a lot more character development in this series. I mean, you, you do get a moment, and this is a bit of a spoiler for you, GT, because you're not there yet. The scene where um, Leon dispatches Krauser, I think, is that moment, but it just comes in a very different way. Because I don't know whether you guys were thinking the same thing, but when he had the knife above him, I actually thought, he's not going to do this because he's going to keep Krauser alive for separate ways. Mm. So I was actually quite surprised that Leon, very cold-bloodedly, just shoves the knife through him and then thanks him for making him the person he is. Like, that's actually quite a bold character moment i actually think that's probably the best character moment in the game because it speaks so much for how broken the leon we're going to see in a few you know in years to come because he is fundamentally broken leon as an individual 
that like the events of that night in Raccoon ruined him for the rest of his life. Mm. And I think you're seeing that now. And even with Krauser as he's dying, you know, he, he realizes that he was wrong and Leon was right. And he has that, that moment, maybe not of redemption, but of realization. And he's, mm. and he's sort of, in his last breath, he goes back to the original Krauser that, that Leon knew and respected. He doesn't call him Rookie, does he? He just says Leon. Yeah, and I think it's the only time he calls him by his name. Yeah, isn't it? and that was, a, that was a nice moment. Patch me through. I've obtained the amber. Excellent. Just one question. What are you planning to do with this? We do not pay you to ask questions. All you need to know is a new dawn is breaking. A hundred will give their lives so that just one may live. I am expediting that change. So, we're talking millions of casualties. Billions. Can we address the elephant in the room? Can we talk about Wesker briefly? And his long-awaited long <laughs> comeback. Brief as it was, I didn't mind him. Um, I know a lot's been said about his voice actor as well, but I, I'm just glad it wasn't a DC Douglas sound-alike. Very... He doesn't sound like this again, John. No, no. Yeah. I mean, he has got a very cliched, villainous voice, but, you know, I, I didn't mind it at all. It was fine. You know, I'm happy to hold my hands up. I was wrong. I thought he was going to be cut from the game completely. So it it was nice to see him come back, as brief as it was. And I know what we do see of him creates a few continuity issues that I'm sure we'll talk about in the Law podcast. But I don't want to sound like Vito, but I have missed Wesker. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. Uh, I, it did bring a smile on my face when I when I heard him. But again, it's it's little things. I don't know if it's the writing or what. But again, the scene where in the castle where Ada speaks to him on the radio it sounds like he doesn't know who Leon is or he doesn't particularly care he's just like yeah I'd do what you want keep him on a leash but don't blame me you know if you get bit whereas in the original it was much more calculating he was doing background checks on Leon wasn't he he's like oh yeah he's a survivor of Raccoon City don't underestimate him yeah I was gonna say yeah you know that's just missing here in the prime timeline what I do love about all those moments is like if you survive Raccoon City that was a massive badge of honour and the villains feared you for it. Yeah. So, you know, even as far as like Simmons in RE6, you know, you, if, if you came out of that situation alive, you were a threat. Yeah. I'm going to reserve judgment on Wesker. I don't think there's enough to really get a good grip of his character performance. And I go back a bit almost to DC Douglas. I know he's not the most popular person to talk about, but I didn't think his performance in Umbrella Chronicles was particularly good. The current one, I wasn't enamoured with him, I suppose. I, I, It's just getting used to it. It's such a hard character, isn't it? You know, it, it's been yeah. played by some great voice actors over the years. Um, and, you know, he's just so universally loved and despised is the character of Wesker. It's just getting used to it. So I'm going to reserve judgment on my opinion of the Wesker until... I think can't really get well, to. until the remake of Resident Evil 5. No, 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 separate, se- separate ways. <laughs> I hope, I hope, separate ways. We'll get, we'll, we should get a bit more. So, um... are you bashing my suggestion that Resident Evil Five needs to be remade? I'm not, not going to. I, I actively refuse to talk about um, that concept at this time. I'm not going to. I'm, I, it, it, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> the remake trade continues. I'm having an episode <laughs> talking about future remakes. I'm just not. <laughs> you can, you can, all of you I'm, want want something. You can clip. You can fuck off. 
I made the same point that I was in the preview podcast. I was like, <laughs> where does this, where does this end? I'm not even, I'm not even asking that question anymore, Rob. I just, uh, <laughs> we don't want to lose you, Sean. We don't want to lose you. <laughs> right. So let's hear everyone's kind of final thoughts. And most importantly, where everyone's scoring for this game is. I think it's actually quite a difficult game to score because with the remakes, you've got to always think about the game itself, what it's mm-hmm. you know remaking, its impact, and that kind of thing. George, we're going to have to forego your conclusion. You can come back on a future podcast, well, you will. When we do others, you, you can give your score, perhaps, on the next one. Oh, can't I give a score for up to Chapter 8? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, can I just then just simply say... What? This is the first time for years I can remember where I'm playing a video game and it's, oh shit, it's midnight. I'll just play this just till half past 12. And then the half past 12 comes along and I'll play it till one in the morning. And then it's 2 a.m. And then it's, <laughs> I'll play it till 3 a.m. And then I'm definitely going to bed. And then it's half past three. And like, don't you remember when you were a kid and you literally got up early to play a video game before you went to school? That's how I felt with this. I've got to go back years for a Resident Evil game that, that had me that enthused. Nick will cut this out, but I'm going to say so far eight out of 10. <laughs> well you're up to chapter eight so there we go makes sense yeah. rombie what about you final thoughts on a score this is a tough one like if this wasn't a remake i wouldn't be questioning that i'd be like yeah solid nine not a question like as a game as an experience yeah great but i'm still niggled by the fact that i don't feel like it's still a necessary remake i mean to be fair and i'm Sean will probably love this when I say I don't think any of the last three remakes have been necessary. But, you know, I just feel like this one especially, like, fundamentally the things that have changed are awesome to see changed and I think there is a lot of improvement. I don't think there's a lot of drawback to the things that have changed. But realistically, at the end of the day, it's still the same game that from a lot of other angles and I'm like, eh, as much as I enjoyed it, could have I... I think the fundamental question is I, I probably would have enjoyed a new game more than this, probably, in the style. Yes, definitely. As an actual game, 9 is a remake of Force 7. Um, I'll just say from my point of view, we know people do the tier list. Resident Evil 4 is always, I've always put it as a B because I give a lot of kudos to the fact that it basically changed the gaming world. I think if it didn't change the gaming world, I would have probably put it at the same level as Resident Evil 5, which is a C for my liking. So as I was playing it, and it kind of fell into the C category if I was going to do a tier list for it, because it isn't changing the world. But I do think it's a fundamentally more accessible and a more fun experience than the original Resident Evil 4. So I think it goes back to a B for that purpose. <laughs> now, can I just ask a question on that? Is Resident Evil 5 still a C now that you've played it as a co-op game? Oh, that's a good question. Ooh, throw a curly one there. Oh, maybe, maybe. So I, I think I'm sticking with the B, which um, I think from my point of view is kind of like an 8, which I think for the fact that I don't really enjoy the action trilogy, generally speaking, that's a remarkable score that it's been able to do that. So it's an 8, but with a big, big Neptune thumbs up. It's still not quite the type of Resident Evil game I prefer, but for the experience I had for it, it's a good 8 for me. So there we go. Batman, what about you, my friend? I think I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Out of the three recent remakes, it's by far the best. 
Yeah. And I'm a little bit more forgiving with this because the original Resident Evil 4 is still readily accessible, so they can stand alongside each other, whereas my worry about Resident Evil 2 and 3 is the lack of accessibility and that they're eventually going to become lost and forgotten unless Capcom does something, releases, I don't know, a classic compilation or something. But it's just a remake issue. I mean, I'm with Rob. As much as I love this game, I would have taken all these mechanics, these fancy graphics, and had Resident Evil 9 instead. You know, I would quite happily do that. You can remake any all-time classic. You know, take the first Alien film, for example. It was made close to uh, 45 years ago now. You know, it's dated. A majority of its fan base weren't even born when it was released. It was made for a pittance in today's money. And yet you could throw one of the world's leading directors at a remake. You could give it an A-list cast made of the cream of the crop. You could vastly improve the models, the dated map painting backgrounds, those 70s era computer readouts that are supposed to represent 22nd century technology. You could use modern technology to make the creature do things Ridley Scott was unable to with just a guy in a rubber suit. You could do all those things and probably produce a really good film. However, no matter what you do, you will not replicate that performance by Sigourney Weaver. You will not replicate the feeling of seeing the chestburster for the first time. And you simply can't improve on the utter sense of dread and foreboding that that film generates throughout. And that's the problem with remakes. It's those lightning in a bottle moments from the originals that makes them so memorable and successful. And they just can't be replicated to the same effect. You know, we're so seduced these days by shiny new, almost lifelike graphics and sounds that it becomes so easy to forget why the original games were so brilliant. You know, as soon as I finished Remake 4, I was so overjoyed with how it turned out, I couldn't be happier. And yet, I popped in the original game just for a few minutes to show the graphical difference to my son. And immediately, I was hit with that foreboding, isolated atmosphere that the remake, as brilliant as it is, just fails to capture at all. So, I just, I really hope that, as, you know, as much as people enjoy this game, I really hope that they don't forget just how groundbreaking the original was and how important it was to the series surviving to this day. Well, starting, you have the final say. I mean, John, you, you, you said the words lightning in a bottle there, and I, it nearly is an impossible concept for a studio to do. So the fact that they actually have made a game that can stand within the same hemisphere as the original, really, and as a counterpart to the original, if you like, doesn't replace. It just sort of stands by the side of it because they are both available. And this is, like you've just said, I, I don't have as much of an issue with this one because people can try both. Both available. You can put them side by side on your PlayStation dashboard if you want to. I started off this episode by saying I prefer the original and, and, and that's not changed through the course of recording this. I do think it's a reference quality modern Resident Evil experience. I think it's absolutely sensationally good. But I did find, as I, as I started going through my second playthrough, that my love for it just dulls just a little bit. It's not enough to affect it or upset it or anything like that, but it's, it's to do with its impact on the lore and the storyline. And because I have such a hard stance on canon, I have to for my own personal enjoyment of timelines and, and whatnot. Because this is already basically reduced for me as a non-canon experience, I find hard to be truly invested in it. Beyond it just being a great game. As a game, it's, it's an easy 9 out of 10. It's so exceptional in what it does. And in so many ways, so many set pieces, so much better than the original. But that original is such a... That's a juggernaut of a game to even attempt to remake. And it, it did take some bravery from Capcom to try. I think, incidentally, 
as we talk about remakes, it's actually Remake 2, which is the big iconic game of the moment because you look at its impact on what it did and it's kind of inspired this wave of survival horror remakes now and you've even got like developers saying we're doing this in the style of like you know remake 2 because we're so inspired by what that game has done for the genre so you've got like the alone in the dark remake where they've specifically cited remake 2 you've got you know silent hill 2 remake that looks very much in line with how things have been approached in, in the remake so it's actually, weirdly, Resident Evil 2 this time that is the big industry trendsetter. But that's not to take anything away from Resident Evil 4 at all. This is an, an absolutely exceptional game. It's standing in the shadow of a juggernaut, and it can be proud enough to stand side by side with it. That's a hell of an achievement from Capcom. I'm going to give it 9 out of 10, but I probably yes. won't give the original that much. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and I prefer the original. Just reviewing it purely as a game, not as its impact or nostalgia or anything. The human brain is funny, and there's people probably listening going, what, what is he on about? I would probably give this 9 out of 10 because it's a strong product. I'd give the original 8 out of 10, even though it's more in, important to the industry, and I would probably revisit the original more. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> no, well, you say that's weird, but I think, I don't know if I'm right in understanding what you're saying, Sean, but that's kind of my thinking uh, when I put Resident Evil Survivor in my tier list this week uh, in the C category. Because just into the narrative and what the game's trying to do is, is so so much more important than the fact that it looks like it was made in paint. Yeah, tier lists are interesting because what people fundamentally misunderstand with a tier list is that that's your personal ranking of where you put titles. It's not how you perceive it as a video game dead aim is one of my favorite re games in the series i would put it higher in a tier list than some games that are actually better you know what i mean um yeah, that's I interesting though in closing i i think it's it's wonderful and whichever version of resident evil 4 you ultimately choose and i appreciate the original is probably incomprehensible in some ways to some people with its single analog control system and whatnot. I know you can use the other analog for looking and things, but it's not the same as a, a genuine t- twin stick controller. Which, whichever version of this game you play, you're going to have a good time. So that's ultimately what's important. It's interesting, Sean, that you bring up the impact of the Resident Evil 2 remake as steading off this realm of remakes and i hadn't thought about that before but you're 100 right and i do remember even seeing that someone the devs from blooper team saying that they had definitely seen the resident evil 2 remake as a case of something yeah. that hadn't been touched yeah. for many many years in that style and, and reinventing it so yeah the base team said the same recently didn't they i wouldn't be surprised yeah very good point well there we go i hope everyone has enjoyed our review and analysis of resident evil 4 remake there's plenty more to come but uh, before we finish, we do have a very quick edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Do you know your G-Virus from your C-Virus? And your Jabberwock from your Bandersnatch? Or perhaps the number of bombs that appear on the Made in Heaven vest? We've talked about the games straying too far from the origins, this Resident Evil quiz. We're now getting the Spice Girls as the correct answer, and it's time to quit. This is Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. 
Star Tyrants. George Trevor. Robbie the Packer. Mr. Spencer. Neptune Biohazard Quiz. Welcome one and all. We're still hanging in there. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be pleased to, well, unsurprised though, this is a remake 4 themed quiz. So, uh, George, um, good luck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's still going to win it. You know, you've just just nailed that for us. I've zero the last three quizzes, I think. So, uh, clear your desktop so you can open up Notepad. How much attention were you paying during the game? So, question number one. How many vipers do you need to complete the merchant task? So, he asks you to collect some vipers. How many do you need? Okay, they gradually get harder. Question number two. In what year does Operation Javier take place? Not necessarily a remake four question, old lad, but there we go. It's, it is somewhat linked. Question number three: What make and model mobile phone can you examine in the church? Oh. I swear, one of you must have known this question was going to come up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was an obvious Nick question, I think. Is it actually based on a real world model? Because oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, I've never paid that much attention to it. <laughs> well, because obviously it can't have the logo on. No. This is a punishment for people not knowing what the phone is, not necessarily what's <laughs> in the game. This is definitely a Nick question. I would say it's quite an obvious phone model. Thanks, Personal. Nick. I don't think it is, but that's fine. <laughs> question number four, continuing off that. So this is a question from Umbrella Inc. What sorority is Ashley in? Oh, for God's sake. Fucking that's fiendish. It says on the phone. Yeah, it does know, say yeah. it on the phone. <laughs> to be honest, I came up with the uh, phone question first, and then Umbrella sent this one, and I thought, "Oh my gosh!" But I, I couldn't not, I couldn't not use it. So finally, then question number five comes in from Children Osiris. What number is given to Osmond in the sanctuary? There are questions. Let's see how everyone has gotten on. So question number one was, how many vipers do you need to complete the merchant task? George, you might know this one. Yeah, I recently just completed this. So I'm sure it's three the first time around. It's not many at all. Rombie? Three. Star's Tyrant? Three. Uh, Batman? Yeah, three. Points all round. Well done. <laughs> yes. You, you guys are all confidently three, three. And I'm like... I'm sure it's three, three, but I know I'm wrong. Just sell them to them. Sell S- three. Sell three, yeah. Do you have to do it all at the same time, or can you do them individually? No, you can do them individually. Oh, no. Okay. Question number two. In what year does Operation Javier take place? Batman, timeline question. Surely up your street. 2002. 2002. Yeah. George Trevor? Yeah, it's, two, it's 2002. Start starting. 2002. Uh, Rombie? Uh, 2002. See, easy. Look, points all around. Look, two from two for everyone. Very good. Question number three. What make and model phone can you examine in the church? Rombie? 
I have no idea, Nick. It's a phone. <laughs> it looks like it's period correct. I have no idea. There's going to be people yelling at me. It's this, you stupid idiot. I didn't memorize phone model makes, so. You did not. George Trevor. That's the MX7. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I just had a little tantrum in my head when I picked it up because I just thought, oh, this is just such kind of like like an addition to the game that we, you know, we obviously we didn't have in, in the original. And it's kind of, it is for the, you know, new young gamers, you know, trying to make it. <laughs> Putting mobile phones in, in survival horror games. No, no, I had a phone no. in 2000 GT. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's cool know, that it's added. But. Moira Burton can have a phone, but no, sorry. No, I have no idea. No idea. So, sorry, did you know? Um, I've gone for a guess. Is it a Motorola Razor? Batman, did you know? Uh, Nokia 3210 with Snake 2. <laughs> <laughs> Point goes to Star's Tyrant. It is a Motorola Razor. <laughs> 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 very good very good it's a, it's a famous phone so um... I, I thought it was more square though originally not round because Ashley's one's rounded isn't it it's definitely it's a just generically modelled so that it doesn't infringe yeah, on some sort of old outstanding copyright or something I need to go look at this now you can have a look it's a Motorola Razor it could be a Motorola Razor uh, that they did like a V3 model, which is a bit fatter, but it's okay. definitely a Motorola Razor. The Razor was called a Razor because it was so thin, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Question number four is ridiculous from Umbrella Inc. Because what sorority is Ashley in, or Ashley a part of, should we say? It's written on the phone. <laughs> it stars... Delta Beta Kappa. Batman, did you know? Centrinians. Rombie. Sigma Gamma something. I remember of this. Sigma Gamma something. I can't remember the third bit. George Trevor? I've no idea. Sorry. Points to Rombe. It's <laughs> unbelievably Sigma Gamma Phi, apparently. There we go. Uh, oh, yeah. That is incredible. <laughs> it's only because it's classic Greek things, isn't it? Like, you know. Mm. The... You do. Well done. Well, an interesting finale going into question number 15, which was from Jordan. What number is given to Osmond in his sanctuary? So, George, you can find lots of names of the Sadler dynasty, and they've all been given a number, a bit like Lost in the Lighthouse. I'm just going to say four, because that's like a horror number in Japan, isn't it? I have no idea. Batman? Uh, Fifteen. Stars Tyrant? I thought twelve. Rombie? Yeah, I thought twelve as well. Points to Batman, it is fifteen! Oh, Oh, what an interesting finale, there we go. So let's have a look at those final scores. Wow. George, you are last, but actually, a respectable two points, absolutely. So not too shabby. I'm sorry I didn't, you know, as a fan of Resident Evil, I'm sorry I didn't get all the questions about fucking mobile phones. (laughs) (laughs) But this week's winners, well, this podcast winners, in joint first, it starts Tyrant, it's Batman, and it's Rombie, each scoring an impressive three out of five. So well done. We all win a Motorola Razor. (laughs) (laughs) For the Sigma Gamma Phi, was it that we said it was? That's the answer, correct. Sticker attached to it, great. (laughs) Winging your way in the post now. There we go, that does finish Neptune's Buy Has a Quiz. Join us next time where we'll have some more questions. (laughs) 
Thank you very much for listening. We are quickly wrapping up our Resident Evil 4 remake review. Coming up next, well, we hand over the reins of the podcast to you guys. That's right. As we do with our reviews and our coverage of a new game, the next podcast is our community call-in podcast. So if you have something you want to say, and you can say it in two minutes or less, then please send us your MP3 call-ins, and we'll endeavour to get them on as quickly as possible uh, and play as many as we can just to hear your views. What we always like about these podcasts is there's always something that we have not spoken about or, more importantly, that we haven't even thought about. We always think, oh, it's not going to happen. But every time, every time we've had a community call-in, the the quality of the call-in, should we say, is up there you know it's really good stuff and it just sometimes completely changes you know opinions of particular aspects of the game so if there's a part of the game you really liked or even disliked you don't have to do a review of the whole game maybe just a small section that you wanted to talk about send it in you can email us at team at resident evil podcast.com emails on the main website as well so you just click on the email button at the bottom of the web page and send it through and we'll get as many as we can uh, in the next podcast we'll let you know as well uh, when the deadline is uh, perhaps on some of our social media as well so um, on that note i would like to thank everyone for listening and i hope you all enjoyed our coverage uh, which will continue onwards as i've just mentioned but it's goodbye for me neptune goodbye from me batman goodbye for me george trevor goodbye for me stars tyrant and goodbye for me rombie